bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. And there will be no going back. Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right way. Not cool. Not cool. Some already are. In ways big. Young men. And small. I am strong. I am strong. But some is not enough. It's not how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. I was going to a conference, a new works forum for Opera America, which is an organization funded by the Mellon Foundation to, you know, create new American operas. Um, and I was late to the meeting, so I signed on Zoom. I was surprised not to see any people, but I had two links. One was to a room for BIPOC people, <laughs> and one was to a room for non-BIPOC people. And then I faced the ethical dilemma. I'd like to go to the BIPOC room. Uh, you know, I could turn off my camera. Would anyone know? Uh, <laughs> would would I be excommunicated from monies from this organization forever? So I went to the the non BIPOC room, which just means the white room, and uh, yeah, the conversation in there was just speculating about every, what everyone in the in the BIPOC room was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I mean, the thing is. Something you learn over the course of this work from home sort of phenomenon is that you can always fall back on, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand, I clicked the wrong thing, it glitched out, something like that. So you can you can get away with anything. You could have easily gone to the BIPOC room. I don't know. I think, well, I'm, I think actually it would have been probably, I would have been received more poorly by the white people having done that. Because the whole thing, the whole thing was organized by white people. Um, and eventually, like when we all came back together, the BIPOC group basically said, well, the conversation in our room was all the people of power are in the other room and we can't talk to them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the, the thing that really has been kind of baffling me about this entire phenomenon, right? If you want to call it wokeness or political correctness or, or anything else, is just that it's so transparently stupid that you wonder why people are buying into it like how do these organizations it, it it's like the clearest sign of late stage imperial rot 
imaginable because this an entire society has lost its critical capacity, or at least the elite stratum has lost its critical capacity in the face of something so clearly. I mean, this must have been how the Romans thought when Christianity started to take off, right? Well, I think the idea here is that the worst thing that you can be called is a racist or a sexist or any kind of ist, and that sort of the main occupation of management right now is to make sure that you're never legitimately called any of those things. <laughs> Why should they care what people call you? Bad press? Marketing, yeah. yeah. Bad marketing. Bad press. I mean, there, there's... you're working for them, and if someone calls you that, then it reflects badly on them, or what? Well, I think fundamentally it's... So there are two angles to this, right? There's the top-down angle where management wants people obsessing about this so that they're not obsessing about poor working conditions. And then there's the bottom-up angle where um, people realize that in the absence of objective criteria for rising through the ranks of an organizational hierarchy, be that in the academy or in a business or journalism or what have you, in the absence of those objective criteria, the only way to compete is by weaponizing these claims of um, identitarian grievance, whether on your own behalf, if you happen to have one of these gr grievanceable identities, or on behalf of some imaginary group of BIPOCs or women or whatever out there in the world that you are claiming to speak BIPOCs on behalf of, women. right? <laughs> Um, so I, I think that's kind of it, it, it's incentivized from both angles. Right. And so they kind of meet in the middle in this perfect vortex of um, of middle class stupidity. And it just it's unstoppable. So why are we what are we talking about? <laughs> Nobody has said what we're talking. Yeah, about. Daniel, what are we talking about? Well, uh, are, we ta are we talking about like apartheid South Africa? I'm like, confused. You know? No, we're talking about the like, workplace. Wait, so what are we talking about today? We're talking about the woke tards. <clears throat> okay. Those are uh, Thaddeus's favorite. <laughs> Daniel, what are we talking about? So I was thinking, so Amy has some really great stories. I've just been like in a bunker this whole pandemic. I don't pay attention to anything, but then every once in a while I hear some really remarkable stories about uh, <laughs> what other people think and do in the world. And I'm just sort of shocked. And so I thought, you know, I mean, this is obviously management, managerial, workplace, power relations, HR stuff, but it's also kind of weird. What did a manager do to you? <laughs> like, what did a manager do to you? <laughs> they're just, they're just waiting to fire me. And so, um, um, it just seemed interesting. Like, Daddy's has been wanting to talk about masculinity for a while, and um, I was thinking, like, with identity, ideology, and management. I mean, we, we could talk about that for a minute, how, how that all works, but like you're saying these land things and so forth, the weird practices people engage in. But I was wondering, like, how does, how does masculinity fit into or not fit into um, the new uh, sort of left neoliberal managerial ideology, like the workplace? I mean, you'd, you'd brought this topic up before. Well, the reason I wanted to talk about masculinity is because people tend to talk about every identity under the sun. You know, you have a black identity, you have the, you know, Latinx identity that- Latinx. Latinx. Don't use that term around me. You I think it's a slur. The, you know, female identity. I want a black, uh, bisexual woman of color to vote for type of deal. Um, so kind of what isn't in- I guess mass media is a discussion of where does a man fit 
in that identity. We even talk about people changing their gender identities, but we don't talk about what that identity is on the male side, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of confused that people are allowed to have all of the identities of race and culture and sexuality, but we don't really discuss, you know, male and female identities. When if race is an identity that we accept as different and, you know, for most people, stagnant, unfluid, rather gender is fluid, but race isn't fluid. Um, Except that in seems, rare circumstances. That, that seems weird to me that mm -hmm. r race um, isn't fluid, but gender is fluid. And we don't even discuss really what gender is or how that fluidity manifests in society as it is today. Because, And then it goes on to the idea of everyone's looking for a villain and usually it's a man. So we have to call that villain toxic and we have to explain why you're toxic. And it dawned on me that my problem with all of the discourse is that um, it puts the onus of uh, fixing society on the individual. When someone says to you that um, you need to be an ally or uh, white people need to stand up for black people, uh, the, the young lady who told me that... Uh, uh, white bodies protect black bodies. Actually, to, actually, she told me that. Oh, she told you. <laughs> with respect to you, right? We have, we have to. She and I, the whites, have to. Protect right. Two, him, two grown men. Guy. Two grown men who grew up as grown men in the American culture are told that they can't protect people during a march because, especially because one of them is white mm. and one of them is black. So he needs to be protected when society has told him she, all his life. Yeah that he is a protector. She she addressed me. Um, it was like, you know, the parents don't want to fight in front of Billy. Like, we have to protect him. I found it, I mean, I know mm. she means well, but I found it silly at best and like implicitly. This is why I don't go insulting out. Insulting at worst. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just wanted to talk about um, where the idea, I tried to look up what toxic masculinity actually is. And, you know, I couldn't really find any definite definition, really any good research on yeah. the topic. Um, and like I talked to my brother about it and he said in the military, they discuss hyper masculinity. So I looked that up and that seems to be a theory that makes sense, especially to the way I grew up. So so lay it on me. What is it? Oh, what is so I'm just going to go through uh, the abstract of what I read. Um, kind of small print, but uh, Tompkins. Tompkins. 1979, script theory offers a coherent, heuristic, and elegant account of the macho personality constellation. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. No, 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 no. no. Um, macho personality constellation sounds so right up my Consisting alley. of A, uh, callous sexual attitudes, B, violence as manly, and C, um, uh, C, uh, danger as exciting. And basically... Um, I won't read the whole thing. It goes on from there to kind of explain how these scripts are created from scarcity and um, the idea of the warrior in the past. So it goes through the actual material conditions that generate the macho personality, you know, to go over it again. Um, callous sexual attitudes, violence as manly and danger as exciting. So, you know, when I think about the way that I was enculturated as a young man, all those things make sense. You know, when you turn 13, it's all about getting laid. 
you know, that's what's going to make these you days. seem like a man to the other guys. That is definitely toxic. You know, um, you get into a good fight, you get into some danger, you dominate another uh, man, oh, you know, yeah. that's, that's how you, that's how you prove that I'm shit, loving it. you know? Um, and what the article explains well is that um, the title of the article, if people actually wanted to read it, is Scripting the Macho Man, Hypermasculinity, Socialization, and Enculturation. What it kind of explains is how the material conditions of scarcity and uh, the violence of warfare kind of generates a necessity for these personalities. Um, and my question in current society is, if we aren't past post-scarcity, um, how can we put the burden on the individual to correct what society has built up? Because I don't believe we've gone past um, the material conditions that generate the macho personality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and also it seems like from from what you've just read from that abstract, it seems like toxic masculinity or the or or macho masculinity or whatever you want to call it um is kind of a stand-in for working class masculinity Absolutely. right like Absolutely. and so this is when people are talking about toxic masculinity they're actually talking about they're actually stigmatizing the working class right more often than than anything actually psychologically uh, you well know. <clears throat> rich people hire working class to do all these things for them right like cops are the the sort of violent uh first line of defense of the rich right yeah. they're there to to do the violence so that the rich people don't have to that they used to do right you know back right. in the day they used to do it right the guy riding in a horse with a lance or with a sword used to be the rich guy right not um not anymore not some guy they hire i mean they would hire people because they needed an army but but that guy would be involved too but i think as time has progressed they just sort of have been delegating that more and more to the point now where we fully delegate the military to the working class whereas before there used to be a draft mm -hmm. right so what you where you would get rich people in the military in world war ii you don't get them really in vietnam a few of them you know but gener and now you don't get them at all right right amy so, and it's the same too. with the police had something yeah and just one i mean it seems like we're talking about two different things one is like macho uh aggressiveness that can be carried out in a kind of like psychological or or social um power play where i, I think about bro culture or like banker culture you know hedge fund managers and that mm -hmm. kind of like there's a there's a masculinity in there that's right. not working class but then there's also the the, the the violence that uh aggressive male violence that we're talking about and if i just i wanted to clarify is that what we're talking about with the working class is the like physical manifestation of that because it well, does I, i'm not sure to what extent toxic masculinity as it's used in the sort of managerial mm -hmm. you know or or woke context is really referring all that much to physical violence right i think that generally it's referring to interpersonal aggressiveness more so perhaps man spreading man spreading yeah a little what bit of that <laughs> Sitting with your legs like uh, really. What the particularly? Fuck? Have you not run trams? into this? Letting the boys get some air. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, Jesus. Is it, it's called man spreading. Yeah, it's right? called man spreading. And um, and the Spanish, the Madrid Metro had a campaign against it when I was living there. Actually, um, like dudes will dudes will sit <laughs> yeah, like yeah. this. Right. It's because of our huge balls yeah. just taking yeah, yeah. up all the space between our legs. <laughs> I mean. Uh, <laughs> you sit on those things, it hurts. It strikes me that you know, it's just the expectation you know, of middle class table manners, like just be polite. This but it's is just etiquette, is it not? It's not just that. Um, because they do in the article, they go through why I say it's a good article is because they go through how politicians are involved 
in the the idea of the macho. Mm. So I mean, it does. The it's not it's not it, it it seems to be like how we always discuss if something is true or not. It seems to be true in that it's describing how a set of conditions create a schema inside of a person which they try to live up to. So for boys, they try to live up to the idea that they have to be tough. They have to be able to not just physically dominate the other boys, whether you have to physically dominate them or outsmart them, you have to be able to control your environment Mm -hmm. and you have to control it to the point where if it goes to hyper-masculinity, you control it to the point where you're domineering over everybody and it creates a dynamic of like a slave master. That's kind of like the archetype of the macho. So you have control over all of these other people. And if you fail in controlling those other people, then you start having disgust for yourself. And that manifests mm-hmm. in, um, you know, the, the, the lashing out at other people in violent forms. That's the violence that comes out of the macho. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the macho starts off trying to do. The macho was just trying to dominate other right. people. That's the failure of the macho. That's the right? failure of the macho, basically. That's that's the macho lashing out in violence when they can't control their environment. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times um, when kids are getting bullied, you'll tell like the little boy to man up, you know, go fight your bully. But they can't necessarily do that. And if they fail to do that, they become disgusted with themselves and they may lash out by, you know, shooting up a school. You know, they may lash out by killing themselves. So explicit violence is actually failure, powerlessness and so forth. Right. Uh So like understanding what the macho is, um, is understanding kind of the expectations of males in a scarcity, in a, in a society right. that isn't post-scarcity. And and there's been some, I, I recall, I don't have any specific citations, but there's been some um, research on sort of the prevalence of violence in unequal societies, mm-hmm. right, versus poor societies. Because right. going by this kind of scarcity paradigm, you'd expect the most violent societies to be, or the ones most prone to male violence to be the poorest, but that's not actually the case. It's actually the most unequal societies mm-hmm. that are the most mm-hmm. violent. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you, you know, if if you're a young man, you're judging yourself on a sliding scale to the people around you, mm-hmm. right? And so if you feel that you are kind of falling behind some other category in your society, that might provoke you to lash out. Um, whereas if everyone around you is kind of equally poor, then there isn't that sort of disparity. Right. So <clears throat> I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I went to an old boys uh, Jesuit high school. And uh, everything you guys are talking about, I can pinpoint different point, different times in my time when I while I was there, things that happened like that. For example, um, the the hierarchy. So that was in, that was institutional. So the first two grades, which was seven and eighth, they wore blue shirts. Then ninth, tenth, and eleventh wore white shirts, and then the seniors they got to design their own shirt that they would wear cool (laughs) so but that that established hierarchy very quickly Mm -hmm. right Right. if you were wearing a blue shirt you were shit Mm -hmm. like you would be you were the you were just the bottom of the barrel like you were just shit they used to call them smurfs ouch you know they were the smurfs (laughs) like literally because they wore blue shirts right and um and 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 it was just like two years of hazing you know Mm -hmm. until you got your white shirt you know and you were then you were then you were like a little bit more sort of 
free. But it was like being in a kind of weird uh, Lord of the Flies with all these like rich kids. It was very like uh, intense. But you're basically just more free to shit on the new people beneath you, right? Right. Well, yeah, because there was a structure, right? But so that's if you the only the, freedom you gain, right? Well, I mean, you, you would gain different freedoms. For example, uh, when you got to 11th grade, which is when you would get your driver's license, you could leave the school mm-hmm. to go get lunch outside mm-hmm. in your car, right? So the seniors and the, and, the, and the juniors would go out for lunch. We would end up at bars and we'd play pool and smoke cigarettes and drink beers and then go back to school stinking like we'd just been in a bar. You know, which is—I imagine which is with the, the smell of man. I imagine there were kids who weren't cool enough to actually, or or kids who weren't rich enough or didn't have friends who didn't have a car who couldn't go off campus, who were then yeah, stuck in it, a liminal stage. You know, it, it, it was it was it was surprisingly egalitarian in that sense. Like huh. everyone had a friend that would take them out. Okay, Are like except for like the very very bottom of 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 the like the guy who I mean. was such. So, such a dork that like no one wanted to deal right. with this guy at all. Those guys were fucked. Exactly. And, and there was a perfect example of a guy like that. Um, I don't know why there's this thing when it's your birthday, they people get together and they hit you. Like it just kind of like, oh, not yeah. like birthday real hitting you. Birthday what? But birthday they, licks. Know. Is that a thing? Yeah. That, that's a thing. So, you get so, hit as your age. <laughs> I never got yeah, hit. So, so, so this is, every this is a male day, mystery that you're not. Oh my god! To. So, so every so there was this one guy that he had a birthday every day for a year because it became a joke <laughs> oh. to do this to this guy every day to just hit him. See. So but, yeah, but it's very it's very structured, and it's you have there's a song that you have to sing. You have to sing Happy Birthday. You have yeah. to you know like there's a whole there's sick. a whole ritual is, to it. That is really sick. So so That's so good, what good happened was ribbing. what happened was it was his birthday one day, and they did it, and then the next day someone joking said, "Oh, it's his birthday again," right? Oh no! And mm-hmm. then it, then it became every day they would do it, and the problem was is that every day in the morning we had this one 15 minute like sort of period for announcements Mm -hmm. so it was always after announcements that it would happen so Mm -hmm. every morning he just could expect this would happen to the guy so it got to the point where he started sitting in the in the seat that was the closest to the exit (sighs) so he could run out (laughs) but it didn't really matter because someone would catch up to him and then 30 kids would get their licks on this guy right so he just and, got the shit so, kicked out of him every day for a year. But the thing is, the thing is, had he not, um, and this is where ties in what we we're talking about, had he not run away, but instead had he stood his ground and actually been like, I'm going to hit you guys back, that shit would have ended in like a day or two. But because he chose to, to not man up, mm-hmm. it was almost like training in like, you need to harden up, dude. Like, this is why this is happening to you. Like, because you're choosing to not be a member of the group. You're choosing to not fight for yourself. Mm. And we're going to fuck with you until you fight for yourself. Well, that's, I, so I mean, it's tough love is what you're that's, saying. That's, right it's now. like, well, I mean, it's not, it's not an acceptable way to do things. I'm just telling you what the, the sociology behind it that's is. The, it's literally the, like, that's the rationale. You either man up or you're going to get hit. That's the rationale, you know? but that's not the re- like, like reading the article. Like you, you realize that that's not the reason. Like for me, 
Well, that's that's the that's that was the overt or the at least the underlying assumption, right? That was I'm the excuse that, that the right. kids were making you in their minds. The that was the justification, anything. right? And w- what I think was really happening. Can you see us? Well, yeah. all right. So what I think there was is. really yeah. what, you, what I think was really happening in in the minds of the kids beating up this kid is that kid was generally the sac- sacrificial lamb to the macho. Everyone else, that was the only kid who was allowed to fail at being a macho that kid got beat up every day so that every other one of you kids could successfully be a macho man so you guys never had to have that type of um um disgust for yourself because it was all put on him you know that that's that's what's happening in that situation and well, i don't know i don't know because like i've read i don't know at some point i read some anthropology articles and they're talking about like you know, seasonal celebration rituals and groups. And it's like the pigs are being, you know, they're reproducing, but at a certain point, the amount of pigs will exceed the food supply. And so then they have this wasteful uh, celebration and they have their own weird religious understanding of what it's all about. But if you look at it from the macro picture from the outside, you see that, well, it's just a bunch of systems. And if they don't do this every year, then um, their, their food system will break down, blah, blah. And so there are unconscious structural functional whatever features of this ritual it doesn't enter any of the psychological individual psychological perspectives of the, of the participants and so i can imagine like what the kids think i mean who cares but i think what marco is saying is that in our society um the the function of this stuff is to make people like that guy who ran away every day for a year to to make them to instill masculine traits in them and that's got nothing to do with the intentions of the participants. That's just sure, but I, also I, I'm not sure that's the function either, though, because it seems like this ritual is more for the sake, as Thaddeus was saying, it's more for the sake of the men who are able to feel secure in their own position within the social hierarchy by knowing for sure that there's someone beneath them, right? And by inscribing this hierarchy amongst themselves, that assuages the side of anxiety, the sort of anxiety that they might have about their own social position. Right. Right. And so I think that whether or not this guy toughens up, like, you know, I, I, I don't think that's actually what's going on. Right. Like maybe, you know, maybe he does toughen up and that's great, but that's not really the point. The well, not point great for him, but for society that requires macho, um, what is it called? Uh, provider types or whatever. I don't think they cared if he, if he, no, no, they up. don't care. That's my whole point is that from the societal perspective, it's not about what anybody cares right. about at the end of the day. The society has to produce a certain kind of uh, man or woman or whatever, a breadwinner or a caretaker, nurturer, let's say the 1950s or whatever. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that at any given point in time, society has to produce a certain amount of certain kinds of people, just like it has to produce a certain amount of consumer goods or whatever. And I'm not condoning this. I'm just saying that maybe an interpretation of what Mark was saying, which isn't, you know, the tough love interpretation would be like at the social level, societies, that's, that's, the ruse of reason that's how the social structure produces these people not through intentions i mean oh, those no. are a bunch of sadistic little kids probably no no no, no. I, I don't I think mean, they're the, sadistic the, but at the structural level the consequence is basically like forget the intentions it produces a certain kind of person no the the jesuit order was founded by an ex-military man right right so so it's very much structured like the military and even if it's not overtly that way, they still think in very sort of mm-hmm. top-down hierarchy. I mean, and the school was run that way, right? It was very much top-down hierarchy, like military. I mean, the 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 sort of the school 
song or whatever you know it's like basically about a, a, a lion and a shield being martial you know like literally like it's very like mm-hmm. almost military in, in its essence right so so there so hierarchy was very important sure. and 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 there was this idea that was constantly drilled in us that you were there to be transformed by the institution mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that you would not come out that you would come out like you go in a as a boy person. and you come out as a man yeah, there was like that basically, like there was that that kind of thing going on. And and it was weird though, because there was this all problems between students were to be handled. And this was not it was contrary to what the school said. This was an, an understood thing between the students that all problems between students would be handled within the students. You would mm-hmm. not go to the authority. Right. Right. To, to, no to handle any of these issues. No well, that's the real and, manifestation and, of boys will be boys. And 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 if you did that, that was such a breach that you would be shunned by the yep. rest of the, the boys. It's like, you're done. We're not dealing with you anymore. You're not trustworthy. That's not unique to hierarchy, you know? <laughs> um, if, Amy, you want to say something? No, I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, you know, we're talking about sort of context and this uh, contexts of scarcity that produce this kind of, you know, what we're talking about is macho uh, behavior. But I was curious also, just because we're talking about such an exclusively male situation, and I was just curious about the extent to which the existence of, like, women or, uh, you know, uh, femininity uh, to what extent that conditions the the macho? Because from my from you know I haven't read this article, but when I think of macho, I think of like testosterone dripping, mm-hmm. like sexual erotic. Uh, I think much more about the relationship between the macho and the like woman of his desire or women who desire him than like intermale activities. Right. Um, I think how the article explains it: the the macho is mostly dictated by the interplay between males because mm-hmm. like one of one of my favorite lines from the uh the article i think they were quoting someone else when they were talking about um when you know uh the, the young man has sex with a woman and they orgasm that they don't really orgasm until they tell their friends the next day about mm-hmm. it so <laughs> that's the enjoyment <laughs> that's, right. so, that's the true or mm-hmm. I mean, really, the recognition of yes. enjoyment right. yeah so, from a Freudian perspective too it's like yeah. the woman just mediates the homoerotic relationship between the men Right. That's what we're doing. Kind of. um, Mm -hmm. They also point out like Clint Eastwood, the damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. So basically it's about dominating. So when you find a woman, you kind of use her as you, you, you dominate her because she's the wife in your household. And generally when these concepts were established with scarcity and with war, um, women were slaves in the Mm -hmm. household. Mm -hmm. Only the patriarch in the household was the master. Everyone else was a slave, including the children. And the women were never able to realize true freedom. So in that dynamic, the woman is supposed to be protected. So whatever the macho has to do to protect his woman, um, that also fulfills his purpose as well as, you know, um, procreating so that he can prove that he has ownership of this woman. That's the. But it seems like just one part of a, of a larger sort of context. Yeah. Uh, but the hypermasculine is pretty much facilitated by what it seems to be interactions between males. That's what makes yeah. it hypermasculine rather right. than, you know, properly masculine or mm-hmm. normal. Mm-hmm. It's it's extra. Right. And and that's why I think the the expansion of this concept of hyper toxic masculinity into 
mixed gender work environments is almost always, you know, sort of nonsensical, right? Because mixed gender work environments don't approximate this kind of hothouse, all male uh, atmosphere where these kind of bonding rituals can really flourish. Like Get out of control. Right. The military or, you know, like there's hazing and right, fraternities, fraternities for example, this all the time. Um, finance bros, right. Which are another right. basically all male, you know, sort of um, uh, social uh, ambit. Um, I think that that's the kind, those are the places where you can actually find this stuff for real. And almost always when it's being referred to in other contexts, it's kind of a mis it's a misappropriation of, um, uh, of the concept to, to an environment where it doesn't actually make any sense. Mm -hmm. That's just my hunch anyway. How, how so? Well, I mean, like for example, and, and I think, it's kind of fallen to the wayside nowadays, but for a couple of years, there was a lot of weaponization of the, the, the concept of toxic masculinity in the context of, um, knowledge economy, career, um, competition, right? So, um, now it's kind of been displaced by BIPOC and race based mm -hmm. notions, mm -hmm. but for, for a while, at least there was a lot of this kind of, uh, you know, maybe around the, the flourishing of the me too movement, maybe a little bit before. And that was kind of the capstone of it, but there was a lot of, um, basically a lot of academic um, competition was happening by casting aspersions to the sort of toxic masculine behaviors of whoever it was you were competing against. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just don't think that that really was able to take off um, or, or have much in, to have legs really, because um, my impression is that, this kind of weaponization of these concepts in the field of uh, knowledge economy um, uh, competition only works when um, there aren't enough people leveling the accusations that it kind of devalues them and makes them no longer useful. Right. Mm. And that's why I think the race stuff is now ha has more legs because there's a smaller universe mm. of BIPOC people competing for these jobs compared to in the past where it was women competing as men, but women are like the majority of people competing mm. for academic jobs at this point. So it's not useful to accuse people of toxic masculinity because that doesn't even get rid of half of your competitors. Oh right? my God, Jamal, mm. are you suggesting what hmm. how how dare you <laughs> this is all just how dare you yeah it's, it's, you're suggesting that this is just a tool that some people use in order to get a promotion yeah obviously i mean for for there's no way that um i think even the people who who are leveling these accusations understand that's what they're doing right at some level like there's i don't think there's any here here's the thing though so i think that's the same complaint as complaining about toxic masculinity or about the macho is that we're putting the onus again on the individual that these people are individually cognizant of trying to, you know, uh, compete with other people and bury them using um, whatever means they can. They're going to use, you know, BIPOC people as the means to, you know, compete for a job. But the, the point is, why is that a viable option? Why is that necessary in society? Because you're running against the same problem of why is toxic ma or toxic masculinity? Why does why do those things manifest? Right. So why does this toxic form of academic competition manifest? I think it's because of razors. Shaving oh. razors, Gillette. You have to buy Gillette. Have you guys seen this? Have you seen this commercial? Yes. Yo, we're using the wrong razors. 
Boys will be boys will be yeah. boys will be boys. Yeah. But Unless so, they uh, use Gillette uh, pencils. Right. But, but I think... But do you I, think it's... The th- one, one thought, though, about this Gillette mm. shit. <laughs> the Gillette shit. <laughs> I bet you do the, do the research and the most, the most macho men with Gillette's their, their wives are buying these fucking things for them in the store, and the marketing psychology is aimed at the wife and not at the well, man. To to be honest with you, we're, the policing of masculinity in my life has been more brutal from women than from men. Mm. No well, one in my high school said, you're not a man. Right. They just mm-hmm. said, don't be a fucking wimp. Right. You know? Well, it, it's, women the, it's the same way. You're not being a man if you don't yeah. carry my bags for me. Right. You're Most not being a man if you don't, you know. Have but it's the same. It's the same in reverse as well. The policing of femininity, right? The reason women wear makeup is not for men's sake; it's for women's sake, right? Like this is. Well, um, nah. <laughs> it, it, again, that seems to be like a um, residual effect. You know, they do it for men's sake, and it looks good. It, it proves to women that you can get a man. I don't know. Amy would probably understand this better, but it doesn't seem like it's for women necessarily. It seems like just like men getting the woman. No, 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 the 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 looking good and dressing up and makeup. Yeah, but men don't notice that. You know, honestly, I think that women. I can't. As the as the spokesperson, yeah, as a woman, as the spokesman for all women here, um, I I think there's there's honestly very much a, a sense of if I don't look good, I will not be taken seriously in the world. Whether it's in the professional context or in a sexual context, or even you know that w- women, you know uh, that there's a sort of a discriminatory base on uh, that well, society I, I, evaluates right. you on the basis of how you look as a woman, and you're you're told that from day yeah. one. Right. I, I can agree with that. I mean, I live in a city where if you're overweight, you're not taken seriously. But you mean like for men and women, right? Yeah, but yeah. here's both. But but I mean, I'm not saying it might cut more for women. I mean, because you know. Scott Rudin and and Harvey Weinstein still have you know still had jobs or <laughs> right you know but 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 still you're not really taken seriously unless you, that's your role is being fat. But I think if that's your a role class is being thing. fat. Then you're you know that's fine. What is that a class thing? I think the weight thing is much more of a class thing than like a gender or a sex thing. How so? Um, well, that, a man can get away with more candy than a woman. That's I mean, true. I, sure. I don't. I mean. It it does seem unfair and also true that a man can get away with more than a woman. But if you just go to like elite universities and stuff and you walk around campus, you don't see many overweight people. Um, and that mm. tends to just oh, be like, yes. like so being overweight obscene. tends to be in, is, is seen as like a, as a class issue. Yeah, that yeah. Right. Not, I mean, that's I, what I mean. We're, we're told that all like in, in, in architecture, you have to present yourself as an architect. Mm. So what you have to look the look part. like a hot building. Like, my, like for it. <laughs> Like, look like when I got there, my boss finally came to grips with that. He couldn't tell his employees how to dress, mm. you know, because before that, there was a guy there who had long hair like me, um, who was white and Japanese, yeah, but he looked be. white. So they told him to cut his hair, you know, uh-huh. and maybe that's where the, the race aspect comes in. And that that's very much a very macho thing. Like, I'm going to tell another man what to do yeah. with his um, appearance. Um, because I can, because I'm his boss, I'm his master. Um, but kind of, I know with my physical appearance and with my race that it's it's not kosher to tell me mm-hmm. what to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, because I already look the part of what I'm supposed to do. That's why, like at my first job, they sent me to work in the trailer because I looked like I'd get along with um, construction workers, and I did. Right. There's a general respect that they have for me that I could 
see that they didn't have for the woman who worked there, Claire, even the way they spoke to me like, oh, you know, she doesn't focus, you know, like like little little things like that. So like with the appearance thing, it does break for men and women, but it does break more for there. There is a set standard for men as to what it means to look the part, because we have been in these jobs for so long that there's been established a archetype for what you're supposed to look like for what job you're or doing position of authority. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have a friend who's a partner at a New York law firm, like, mm-hmm. like yeah. super high level partner. Right. right. Um, and, but, but he's Italian American and he dresses a little bit too flashy. And the other partners <laughs> have mentioned to him, you need to not wear a tie that color, you know, like this is a, like an issue, you it's know, just obscene. Well, it, it's just like, you know, they're like, you know, you might want to wasp it up a little bit. You know, you might want to like just not have that much style on you. You, you make know? everyone else look bad, or just and too, the thing is too much attention. I, I, you know, I got I got raised in that whole Brooks brother milieu. Mm. You know, uh, and I understand what they were saying, but he wasn't really that over the top either. You know, so it's right. just sort of this weird. But but there is a policing of what you look like, because you you're supposed to play a part. You're supposed to look like. The person that does X or Y, right? Yeah. I mean, if you go to a graphic design interview dressed like you are going to go work at Goldman Sachs, they're just going to be like, I'm not hiring this guy. Right. He looks like a fucking lunatic, you know? And like that's, who goes in a who goes in a suit to a graphic design interview? A and those are the schema that, that we create, right? So the whole point of like talking about masculinity and, you know, is, is that you fit in a, a schema, right? You, you fit an archetype. And it's like Dungeons and Dragons for life. But sorry, with the example of you and Claire was your uh, yes. colleague's name, was that, because you started talking about race, was that a race issue? It sounded like more of a sort of like sex expectation. It was a sex expectation, yeah. more than a race expectation. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Claire, like to an extent, fed into that because we went to um, another uh, engineering firm that we worked for. And, you know, the, the boss's son was, you know, very beautiful boy, right? Um, and... <laughs> He was like fit. He looked like a regular dude to me, but he was, you know, gorgeous. Beautiful. And he was <laughs> fucking beautiful. You got like, a photo? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. Um, but um, she asked me, like, is he, do you think he's gay? And I kind of, it, it kind of, you know, took me off guard. Cause I'm like, what, what, what if I was gay? Cause Claire didn't know me at mm-hmm. that moment. Right. right? Like, she just assumed that you're not. She just, yeah, just assumed. You know, um, because I don't look the part, yeah. right? And he looked the part. Yeah, what the fuck does that even mean? You don't seem gay. You Come know? on. We, uh, there have been exactly. plenty of studies that show that you can adjudicate whether or not someone is gay from... It's the affect. Right, yeah. It's, it's the reliable. way that your your body moves, the facial uh, tics, you know. Um, it's that's, just those different, those different are the expectations. Maybe she's just ignorant, you know? Of course. Well, she's I mean, just, you, we're all just, we're all ignorant, no, but me. it's how that plays out in the real world. Right. How how we um, express our ignorance as if it's normal, you know. Um, but those, so those construction workers you were saying were sort of critical of her um, managerial eff- efficacy. Not the um, construction workers, okay. um, because they didn't even put her in a position to work with the construction mm-hmm, workers or mm-hmm. with the electric le- electricians. Um 
it was people in the office. But they were mm-hmm. macho, probably the construction workers. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and like the expectations are totally different on the site because you have life and death in your hands. Like you do something wrong, yeah, yeah. someone gets electrocuted, they're they're dead. So. Um, they really don't care if a woman is doing it or a man is doing it. Um, but like in your day to day interactions is where the where it doesn't count yeah, yeah. is where the 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 schema manifests, you yeah. know. No, I just I'm reflecting on this just because so I work as a theater and stage director and like, you know, in my field about thirty percent of us are women and about seventy percent are men. And I'm hyper aware of the fact that I'm a woman when I'm working. I what percentage of the men are gay? Um, I have no idea, mm-hmm. but not in, in Germany, I, not many, uh, I would say maybe like 25%. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a totally, I don't know, out of, you know, wherever, but this point being like, you know, a lot of the, there's sort of a uh, typical behavior of like male directors is they'll scream at people and they'll throw shit. And it, mm. you know, it's beginning to become a problem now is like, <laughs> the younger generation comes into positions of power and they're more collectively oriented, they're more interested in democratic processes and all this stuff. But they're, they're really these tyrannical directors. And as a woman, if you do that, you're hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't even scream in rehearsal. If I, need, if I need people to get quiet, I grab the nearest man and ask him mm-hmm. to yell quiet because I don't want to be shrill. And because mm-hmm. you know what that's going to do mm-hmm. to the guys and the women, honestly. They'll all just imagine you as Hillary Clinton from now Yeah, as on. their mom. <laughs> They'll imagine <laughs> me as their mom. And that's like the last relationship I want with them. Yeah, well, yep. you know, if, if Freud's right, they're all doing that anyways. But um, <laughs> <laughs> fuck, <laughs> I want to pick up on something Thaddeus said, and then I want to go back to where we started and then try to shift a direction um, towards another thing. Um, so aggressively Thaddeus, male of you. Yes. Well, pardon me. Um, <laughs> the ship isn't going to steer itself. But, um, <laughs> hmm. Needs a helmsman <laughs> or a helmswoman. Uh, be my guest. Um, but uh, we'll have to arm wrestle for that. Um, so you said... That is, you're saying like a man can't tell another man what to do. Um, that that creates somehow the the conflict in question, and and in the workplace that inevitably happens. And so it just seems like in that example you gave of you know how to look and so forth. Like if a man told another man how he ought to look, that would be some definite like pecking order, alpha beta shit. It's like scary um, if you just straight up and tell someone. You know, you could imagine one saying to the other, cut your hair, and that would be like one asserting dominance or something. On the other hand, though, a boss, what is a boss? But fundamentally one who gives orders to another and in the workplace needs that. And so it seems like this is the kind of antinomy of left neoliberalism or liberal capitalism, whatever you want to call it. Like they try to get around this and they try to soften it and they try to say, well, we're all friends here. There's no hierarchy, you know, grab a beer work after hours if you if you want to work second shift that's cool you some people work late have strike work life balance uh blah blah but the bottom line is someone gives orders and somebody takes them and so that's built, baked into the workplace dynamic and there's no way around it and so the ideology of left neoliberalism i think is an attempt to pretend that the bosses don't exist and so forth and it's bullshit and it just plays out in different permutations the second thing is this article you mentioned the way he said so Hyper hyper masculinity. Yeah, emerges in a context of scarcity. That's a very general, ahistorical way of putting it. And then post-scarcity would obviously be something like communism or something, but um, where we can achieve that technologically. Um, it just seems like we could be more specific than saying, you know, this, the social conditions of scarcity give rise to 
masculinity and hypermasculinity, and then post scarcity would be a situation which that didn't exist. Well, they don't talk about post scarcity. Sure, sure. I, I recognize you bring that in, but I'm just saying that um, it seems like there are changes in capitalism. Like, let's say in the 1950s, capitalism required a certain kind of man, and then it mass produced those men. Mm-hmm. And then capitalism undergoes a certain change from the 50s to the 70s financialization, deindustrialization, the rise of neoliberalism, the dominance of managerial work. You know, I heard a statistic, 2% of American labor in 1900 was white collar managerial work. And then 75 years later, it was 25%. I mean, that's just crazy. So the American population is changing with respect to class and uh, ideological orientation and so forth. And it just seems like, you know, the kind of men that get produced in one situation, like at one point, America needs coal miners and steel workers. At another moment, it needs tech or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and what do you do with the people whose existence is that? I mean, because it's not like you can change your mind, like you update your right. OS on your MacBook. I mean, that's your fucking Daseins modus or whatever. You know, that's what you are. Mm. And so it seems like you know, changes in capitalism mean changes in acceptable behavior. And this HR woke uh, left neoliberal ideology we're seeing now is an attempt to say like, sorry. You're obsolete. Mm-hmm. You have to, you have you're a square peg, and you got to go in a round hole now. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I mean by putting the onus on the individual, because that 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 does the seem seems to be the exact case we're dealing with. Whereas in the past, the man who was able to abandon his instinct for safety was required to work in a coal mine or to fight a war or even to um, you know uh, raise cattle. You know, the cowboy couldn't really account for his safety as much as the banker, you know, and there were more of them. The You know, factories weren't as safe, so you couldn't really you had to man up, go into the office, work these long hours, provide for your family. And now the dynamic of capitalism is very different. It's very much more managerial. So another conversation I was having with someone else is, is the idea of the masculine as it's been historically does it fit in what we see as proper bosses or leaders or um, workers in today's context and um the conclusion of the person i was talking to was that um women might just be better leaders at this point because the skills that historically they've been brought up as having are more conducive to the work environment right now and what we're seeing is like all of these young men in my generation on down have been brought up as the macho, right? You're supposed to dominate. Like, and when I say that a man doesn't tell another man how to dress, I mean that very literally. When the man tells the other individual how to dress, that under, other individual isn't a man anymore. They're not seeing them as a man. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, that's the society we live in. That's, right. That's the society. You're not endorsing it. That's just no, no, no. Is. I'm just saying that's that's just that's just how it's how it's manifesting in the society we live in. And now that's becoming less tolerable because it doesn't lend itself to producing um, what you know, the financial instruments that capitalism requires right now. So finance requires more cooperation than you know um, just manufacturing something on a assembly line. Um, in a, in a different sense, it, it requires more mental cooperation. Um, so, but, but there's to a certain extent, there's a sort of, um, a two tiered system, right? Where like the finance bros are still behaving like traditional hyper masculine manly boys. Right. 
and and <laughs> or or like the command the C suite the command you know the mm, guys yeah. who are just blowing you know cocaine off hookers backs or whatever you know and raking in millions of dollars those guys are still they can be as masculine as they like but they get away right. with it for right some well but not only can they get away with it it, it is but if you carry, your, in if their you carry own, your lunch to work in a box then fuck you right it's it's the kind of middle tier not just the 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 working class but also kind of the lower to medium rungs in the middle class that are sort of being disciplined in this new sort of um, this new definition of masculinity or what have you, right? <clears throat> and it's true to a certain extent that in, you know, in, in government jobs, which I've been fortunate enough to, to um, indulge myself in for the last couple of years, um, all of my bosses without exception have been women, right? Like without mm. exception, that's just every single person in the kind of middle management level of government work is a woman. Um, and so there's definitely something to this kind of cohort replacement um, in, in the managerial stratum, but I don't think it really reaches, you know, mm-hmm. the actual no. elite, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. That's the another thing they talk about, how our politicians are still required to be macho um, because we still have an adversarial um, connection to the others in the world. So we want our uh, leaders to dominate over the rest of the world, especially in the United States. So we still require, that's why, you know, like when I was originally... So how this conversation with Daniel came up uh, was we were we were up drinking one night and we were listening to music. And then I played him um, Brody Dale because um, I told him, like, she has this rough voice. Mm. And I and I like that. It, it sounds like it sounds powerful. And I like that. And he was like, you like women with masculine qualities. So I was trying to discover. <laughs> Pardon me. What Pardon what me. what that means? I mean, it it makes there's, sense. There's a Moroccan singer you might like named Sheikha Ramiti. She's she's got an extremely powerful masculine voice. So like we we were discussing those things and kind of discussing you know what makes something masculine or feminine in the current context. And historically, we decided like the masculine was the provider and the feminine was the nurturer, and. So like political economic perspective right. rather than like sex based. So before what made you capable of being a provider, like the tech bros are still providing in the same way they historically provided. They, you know, have corporate mergers. They dominate over others to make their money. They raid firms. And right. So, forth. so they're still required to be the macho. But if you're talking about getting a decent job now with a college education, you're not going to be on the assembly line. Like the macho still exists in construction work because it's still necessary to be macho to a certain extent. Um, But it doesn't exist in like general corporate life or, you know, professional managerial life because it's not required that you dominate over someone else. It's required that you make sure that um, the workers that are under you and in between the, the the, the, the bosses and, you know, you're between the bosses and, and the workers. Mm. That's what you are as the professional managerial class. So your job is to mitigate the antagonism between the workers and the bosses. It's a great job for women, mitigating and, antagonism. So that doesn't require <laughs> dominance. So if you as the manager are just trying to dominate over everyone else, you're going to be incapable of doing your job. You need, you need some manipulative. You have control. to finesse people into getting along with the program. Finesse this is good for you. Um, but this is, this is the entire political sort of strategy of Angela Merkel. Like her, her entire strategy as a politician has been about management and never about actually 
you know, aggressive action. She does. They call her Muti. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that probably, probably has more to do with what she looks like. But she's <laughs> always been someone who reacts to crises, and you know, uh, that's not what Putin says about. Better, but whatever. <laughs> they get along pretty well. She speaks fluent Russian. Yeah. When they talk, they speak yeah, Russian. Yeah. But she's she's not a. Well, Putin she, speaks German too, right? So. Yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> and he also case. knows kung fu. No, but it's judo, you know, she's she's not an actor. She's a reactor. And her, I mean, she's been she's been chancellor since Bush was she's president. Bite the dust now. Well, she's she's, a dictator. she's gone. No, she's gone. She's stepping down oh, okay. in September. Then she's gone. And the question is going to be who, uh, you know, what happens when the when basically the manager of the eu in a way uh mm. steps down right Who, who's who's gonna take control of the who's gonna be the new ceo of germany but yeah. i think this question um so femininity and dominance in the workplace on being on the decline i think you know permit me to masculinity throw this out there. being on the decline masculinity being on the decline let's say well dominance and uh the but, macho not necessarily masculinity right because that's the question yeah. we might be outmanned by femininity i mean dominance is out if management and securing a comfortable safe workplace is in um uh, women can be better managers that's what capitalism needs and my feeling with what i pointed out before is that it seems like capitalism the way that capitalism has used racism in the past to divide the working class break them up and manage them for free now it's using anti-racism to divide people and, and create mm -hmm. infighting and make them manage each other for free. Similarly, it will use gender. It will use sexism, just like it'll use racism. It will use anti-sexism. It'll use anything at its disposal. And, um, you know, pink pantsuit, um, don't be a chauvinist. I mean, that can be... I'm always a little skeptical, though, about comparing racism and sexism. They're sort of structurally very, very different. I'm not saying they're the same. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of, you know, demographic the distribution, it's very different, you know, let's say men and women, well, and, and 50%. And, and the other the other thing is the relationship between... See how she shut you down? Yeah. That's okay. I've <laughs> been learning for all these Good years. Good job. <laughs> um, is the relationship between <clears throat> sexism and desire, which is something that isn't... I don't believe is present in the racism questions. What do you mean? Uh, what, I, what I mean is uh, race is sexualized, but we don't have to go down this rabbit hole. Yeah. But I mean the sense that um, let's, I mean, from a heteronormative standpoint, as a heteronormative, yeah, cis heteronormative, a, yeah, yeah. Uh, bourgeois wasp um, that, uh, you know, it, it, you can be, it's hard to retrain desire. Um, you know, if you, if you, I don't know, if you grew up in a household that had models for male, female, uh, relationships, romantic relationships that was one based on a model that you ethically no longer agree with, you still might mm. desire the thing that you ethically don't agree with. Oh, mm. yeah. Well, I mean, and the fundamental difference between race and sex is that sex is a biological basis and race doesn't. Oh, not, I'm like, well, well, these we'll things are changing. These things are changing. Man. No, I mean, but, but that's <laughs> true. Whether, whether or not we like it, whether we would want to admit it or not, uh, there science are actual. is a social construction, <laughs> it is <laughs> patriarchal ideology. Yeah, that, but yeah, that, yeah. that's all goes to the point of the, the the biological aspects of you know sex um are they like like what they what they create are they as necessary in today's society that's kind of the question because before when we're talking about the macho it manifests from scarcity and war so when you have war men are obviously better at war especially the wars in the past that are that, that is so offensive. That mean you have to hold up a shield oh. and you have to thrust a right. spear. Men a man's going to do that longer mm -hmm. than a woman, you know, on, on average. 
Unless it's a cute, I mean, it's a cute little shield. Um, I can attest that even holding up an eight pound, you know, dumbbell is, yeah. is hard. And he's yeah. a big dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so men are, we're just, men were just better at that. But the tools but now, we're redundant. now, those, those are not, those are not as necessary yeah. in the current society. A man is not necessarily a better drone pilot than a woman. That's the thing. Right. It man. turns out they are. Really? Yeah, of course. They have better eye-hand coordination. No, 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 no. Well, Wait, it depends. No, you meant a drone doesn't have a pilot, right? I'm no, sorry. there's a drone pilot they're sitting who, in who containers. Bomb the oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, uh, Wait, remotely. It, men have better video, hand. Video game, video not game competitions. Yeah, men, yeah, men are always dominate video because game competitions. Because the best fighter pilot in Israel was a woman. The best ace in Israel was a woman for the longest time. And men all colorblind? Yeah, but that's the... It's a statistical of, outlier that proves no, the no, 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 no. It's I'm not, not just a statistical line. outlier because women have a lower center of gravity. When you put them in the cockpit, they can They're navigate the better. The drone. And, but I'm just saying, when we're talking, yeah, about, we're talking planes, about drones, and if we're talking about a drone, if you're talking about maneuvering a plane, women can be better than that. That's that. The drone example isn't a good example. It's I don't just, believe that's true. I don't believe that women are. That's I'm just saying the biological well, example of the drone macho, is not is not the sexist. best example. It's just kind of like the fact that men occupy these positions more than men because men are more prone to violence. No, They're no, more committed. My point was that I, 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 I entirely disagree pilots. with that. I think women are just as prone to violence and actually statistics bear that out. If you look at rates of uh, spousal abuse in lesbian relationships, they're just as high, if not higher, than heterosexual relationships. I think the this is one of these things that people don't want to talk about. Generally. Women, women are prone to ineffectual violence. Men are, are more prone well, to violence. I mean, they're more effective. <laughs> <laughs> you want to take this outside? She'll slap me. <laughs> I'll pull your hair. <laughs> I'm just saying, like it's just evident because men. I didn't say that statistically. <laughs> If you're talking about violent crime, you're talking about men are the perpetrator, the, the perpetrators of upwards of eighty percent or more of violent crimes. So men are just generally better at violence. Passive aggression. We're not talking about passive aggression. We're talking about <laughs> we're talking about violence. We're talking no, about physical I mean, there's, violence. There's physical and there's psychological violence. There right? is psychological. That's like seventh violence. grade yeah, but girls. Psychological violence isn't violence. It's something else. I mean, how much right? passive aggression can you handle before you develop a drinking problem? How much can you handle? How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop? You know? Well, there's only 30 PBRs in that pack. Sorry, the point, the point that we were making was that there's a biological difference between the strength of a man and a woman. Right. On a, you know, and also the propensity to violence, though. That's the other, yes. what Thaddeus well, is mean, getting at. Like, obviously, that makes a big difference, right? Like, you know, I've been punched by a man and I've been punched by a woman. And How was it? I would rather be punched by 99% of women mm -hmm. than wasn't by as good for her as it was for of men, you. you know? Yeah. It's just the way it is, you know? Yeah. Ah, I, I, I mean, I don't, it, it's just, it's just true. You know, like there's no, yeah. for I mean, different reasons. Really like surely to the whole cis trans, like whatever, but you know, I don't want to open that box. Let's because, go there. Uh, yeah. I'd rather there. be punched by 99 I, I would rather women. be punched by a, a trans man than a, than a trans woman, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. For sure. You know, I would, I would, could you punch would a trans, hmm. could you punch a trans person, woman, or what, what is the etiquette around this stuff? About punching? About punching. Well, you're not, as a man, I was, as a man, I was always told never hit a woman. Never. No. 
but what about yeah? But in, trans in the new man? in the neoliberal mm. world, you're not supposed to hit anyone. So it's you know, there's sure okay. Fine. You're just not supposed to be hitting people. I'll yeah, tell I'm, you guys a funny story about kind of about this. We're, we're, here we're, we go. Here we go. We're, no, we're in a club, right? And um, I'm dancing with this girl, and then this person at this point keeps coming up and like putting their leg in between us, stopping us from dancing. Jeez. So I would back off, and then the girl would come back and start dancing with me again. And this person would get pissed off. And then my buddy comes up and he's like, man, you should have punched that dude in the face. And I'm like, dude, that's a girl. Mm. (laughs) So it it was it was a lesbian woman who was trying to get me off of probably her bisexual girlfriend. Mm. And in my mind, if it had been a dude. I would have just, I, I probably wouldn't have fought to do it because I'm already winning, right? His his mm-hmm. girl was coming mm-hmm. to me. I already won. Mm-hmm. So that, that fuck is him. security um, and confidence right can, there. Can I say something wow. really but, like bizarrely like on PC? Please. I find that African American black culture is so much more aggressive about mating rituals and situations than like white people. It's intense, man. Like, do you find that to be the case or not? What do like, you mean? I, I, like the way that men talk to women, the way that like the, the whole thing is just so much more forward, you know, just so much more in your face than like the general, like how white people do it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just imagining it. But like I I, I see the interactions. And I'm like, wow, that's really intense. You know, well, and I don't know because from what you're saying about the club, but maybe I'm just reading it wrong. I, I, I'm curious. Well, I, I, have- I, I think. You know, from from what I've read and what I think is that in history, um, the black experience in America has been a denial of a gender. So the whole ain't I a woman thing. So both men and women are on more equal footing. There is no real damsel in distress dynamic to interacting with black women. So Mm -hmm. you are forward with them because you have the expectation that they're either going to deny you or they're not. You're not putting them off in a way where they can't say no and you're not going to accept that no whereas i don't know in in white culture it seems like the guys get much more hurt when a woman denies them you know it's kind of like an affront to their manhood Mm. that the woman is denying them whereas in black culture you you are a man you know you see yourself as a man but you don't see yourself as a man like your opposition or the opposite isn't the women in your life it's other men so the white men were dominating over you so you were fighting them so it wasn't the women that validated your manhood so when you interact with women you're both kind of hardened Mm -hmm. to the interaction does anyone know anything about race demographics and incel culture just because basically what you're saying is that there wouldn't be black incels there are but it's again it's it's low Low. yeah yeah, just random mega autists right um I mean, but the incel thing is interesting because this happened in Japan first, right? Like, Japan has had its own, the vegetarian. Oh, God, it's cultural appropriation? Yeah, and the hikikomori and all yeah, that hikikomori, other stuff. Hikikomori, yeah, that's um, some wild That stuff. has been happening in Japan for at least 10 years longer than it's been happening in the United States. Um, and yeah, it, it's just a really interesting phenomenon, and, and it has to have something to do with. Um, the increased job market yeah. pressure and just difficulty of finding meaningful work and there's just no place for these guys you know? anymore, whether yeah. socioeconomically or sexually. And Japan is extra; it's very macho. It's mm. not not the way we see them, 
But Japan was the place yeah. where they were limiting the access of women into med school mm-hmm. right. because they wanted men to be doctors. They actually recently, politicians, uh, they were trying to figure out policies for pregnant women. So the politicians just put on fake mm. pregnancy <laughs> bellies rather than just <laughs> talking to women who had been oh, pregnant. Right. And there's also, they don't allow women to be homeless in Japan. Yeah. But men. What do they do? Homeless. So you basically have a welfare system that takes care of women and doesn't take care of men. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I mean, the vast majority of, of homeless people in the U.S. are men too. I think it's like seventy percent or something like that. So there is something yeah, like that so playing out. So you're saying that women are uh, disproportionately underrepresented among the I homeless. Can't hear you. We need to work on that. I can't hear you. It depends you on how you define homeless, up. though. You're saying that you're saying that uh, women are women are highly underrepresented among the homeless i mean i wouldn't say they're underrepresented i think <laughs> any representation is bad <laughs> what i'm saying is is maybe that uh we seem to care more about women being homeless well than there, we do there about is that but also homeless. men just have higher rates of severe mental illness than women but why so- I mean, it's for the same reason there are more male rocket scientists, right? Like men, have, <laughs> men have more variability and in intelligence. Well, schizophrenia certainly is right. Like so there's, there are more brilliant men and there are more idiot men, and it's just kind of they have more variability. But I feel like that's I, also I, I a manifestation know, I don't know of society. I would reduce that to to biology because being right. biology. on the street is very much a social condition, right? Yeah. Um, no, but a huge so proportion of the the homeless population in the United States has severe mental illness yeah. that is not being treated, right? Like that's... A lot of the time they develop the illness yeah. after becoming homeless. Right. They're not homeless because they have mental illness. They right. actually develop mental illness well, because they're homeless. We could say, you, we could safely say that the relationship between um, uh, biology and society, I mean, with humans, like dogs, for instance, dogs don't exist in nature. Dogs are a product of human civilization. And so similarly, like human biology is not unaffected by the fact that, you know, however many thousands of years we've undergone technological development and so forth. And so I don't think we could take either of these things separately. My issue is is why I take them separately is because I can't solve for biology. I can solve for environment. So why even have the discussion? Well, there is artificial selection. Um, Well... I mean, there is a there is an impact of society on human biology, but because uh, that lends you to like saying that all men are going to be macho, and as society is changing, um, well, that's the point. You know, I mean, but that's not necessarily true. As society is changing, men are going to change with society. You know, and you can nurture something different in men than in the past, and that's happened throughout history. But there's this lag, though, and that's sure, what's yes, so interesting. That's, that's what we're talking about. Right, is the we're lag. talking about the lag. So, um, so what is the new like the HR ideology? Like you were telling me, what's this example? You got an, you got so many of these great stories. Like you're in these meetings and they begin because. So let me say, as a as a white cis hetero male, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I when I see Hillary Clinton or as someone like worst. this in a pink pantsuit, I just think I'm going to get fired. Because you know mm-hmm. I mean? you're insecure. That's my instinct. Well, I, 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 I guess you know, petty bourgeois vulnerability. I don't know, but um, I just think this isn't good. And then there's this new ideology, which is like you know, there's no place. So what is it like? I saw this video, Northwestern University. All these Zoom students, they all just go around and say, "I'm a ra- hi, I'm I'm Timmy, and I'm a racist." 
And then you think, what? Like and, an AA meeting? Yeah. And, and they, the way that they show that they're not a racist is by struggling with their racism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. You can find this. And they're like, I'm a racist. They're all a bunch of fucking racists. The struggle is real. Yeah, I was just thinking about the um, sort of the um, power that tall men have just by entering a space, like the kind of authority that they're uh, that they're granted just on the basis of being tall. It's weird, isn't it? It's but it's it's so real. It's hmm. you know I have a. It's justified. Here's <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing, though that that is that is a hierarchy based on so-called natural traits, right? And. And that is this thing that people talk about, like, in animals, like alpha, beta. But if you use those words, people are like, oh, yeah, you're a 4chan incel. <laughs> well, when but, people talk about those things, it comes from wolves. There's something it doesn't very really weird American about that. What? Like, this obsession with tall men. It's just, like, obsessive, you know? Like, to the degree yeah. where, like, Tinder yeah. profiles would be, like, something like... Yeah. Oh, only six feet yeah. tall. I have a friend who's five uh, foot one, like, and she would only date men over six foot. It's not like that in Europe mm. or Italy, like in Italy and in France. It's, like, it's very obsessive in this country. It's yeah. like really weird. Yeah. You know? Well, because we're like, fucking I, authoritarians who are obsessed with power. Well, I don't. I there's don't, that, I, but there's also the the. I think that the scarcity issue accentuates a lot of the kind of latent sexual preferences like there have been a lot of studies showing that um you know in countries that are more egalitarian economically a lot of these um sort of preferences are less strong in general right but in countries that are that have more economic inequality mm-hmm. and therefore more scarcity mm-hmm. like people kind of for whatever reason instinctively so are more concerned although right? putin's a small man he's five six <laughs> yeah, yeah. medvedev is five four putin's five six yeah yeah damn have you ever seen I'm him next to him? next to trump it's like no. it's crazy when he stands next but putin's to trump. a killer though. oh yeah smart mm. You know, that, that that dynamic is real, you know. That's that's why some of us muscle up, you know. <laughs> some of us, not all of us. Um, Marco, you wanted to say something though, I think, didn't you? Oh, uh, I don't remember what it was. But uh I, the thing with muscles is kind of interesting. I, I I have this friend, he he goes to the gym every day, he's very fit, and he says, Look, I do this for my vanity, because mm-hmm. if I wanted to get girls, I would just make money. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. literally like mm-hmm. what he says. That's the opposite like, shit. He's like, I would just make money. This is just for me because I want to feel good about what I look like. But he's like, this doesn't, the, the six pack, it doesn't really get me any more dates than before I had the six pack. Like, but if I have money, then it works. It's kind of weird. I don't know that it's true or not, but that's how he's conceptualized well, it in his head. It's, it's a confidence true. thing. You, 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 you get the most, somewhere along the way, it was validated for him. He wouldn't do it otherwise. Um, so it's just kind of weird. I mean, the, the the way that that dating and all of that has been turned into like a weird, like marketplace, mm-hmm, yeah. and it's just like this it's, weird. It's like, always whoa. been that way. No, uh, something has changed with Tinder. They all just say like it's become more commodified, if, but it's always been a marketplace. Right. It's like the, ACAB, the BLM. Can, if you got this you, swipe, you also left. don't even have the opportunity to just fall in love with someone for you know right. whatever reason. Like you're really selecting there first. There's no more falling in love because you yeah. got to think love is 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 a relatively short lived concept too. Well, you also can't agree or disagree before you fall in love. 
the whole point of falling in love is that the world overtakes you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're it, not a sovereign. The consumer right. isn't right. always. You've right. already you're, fallen in love once you really, understand right. that you you're are. Not well, and, yeah, and falling in love has to be unexpected, right? Otherwise, it, it right. doesn't and, happen. And I so, wonder, but you, there's no consent or non-consent in <laughs> right. the case. Talking about so the socioeconomic Amazon, you're just like um, just just people. Right. I mean, yeah. because, I shouldn't speak because I literally have no experience with this, but but just from like I don't, I have never used Tinder. Mm -hmm. I, I don't. But I know, I mean, I have looked at my friend go over it, mm. and it's literally mm -hmm. like he is shopping, you know? Mm -hmm. I've had like everything is just like broken it. down mm -hmm. into points and 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 do am I am I worth enough money to purchase this thing? Mm -hmm. And it's be like, nah, this girl would never say yes. Yes, this girl would say yes. This kind of girl always says yes, but I never like them. You so know, it's speculation. It's, it's yeah, it, so it's, it's 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 like it's like buying stock or something. I wonder know? if it and, goes and hand in hand with the expansion of the family, because in the past, um, I think Daniel said this to me, uh, love was relegated to the peasants. Mm, so mm -hmm. basically when you had a family, you didn't fall in love to create a family and families were only allowed. You were only allowed to have a family if you were a wealthy man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you were a head of a household, you could have a family, but if you were a peasant, then you could fall in love because you had no responsibilities to, raise people for the realm raise new citizens right or also um, to manage your wealth right so now that everyone is managing their wealth everyone is part of a family mm -hmm. um what wealth? love is going by the wayside <laughs> i mean yeah love is going by the wayside because it's basically a competition to create a household so now yeah. Women want to marry a man who has a certain amount of income that can facilitate a certain type of lifestyle. And men want to marry a woman who can, you know, uh, be included in that lifestyle. Or now it's getting to the point where men want a woman who has a certain amount of money right, to facilitate yeah. a yeah. certain type of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So since the family has expanded and the amount of people who have uh, the power to earn you know, to earn, mm -hmm. um, then, you know, love is kind of put to the periphery of, of the concerns. Well, I mean, just think about Tinder. The first time I used Tinder, I thought, this is like that schmuck. I don't know if you've ever visited Ellis Island, but there's that point where all the immigrants, first of all, the rich immigrants didn't go through Ellis mm -hmm. Island. It was the poor ones. And then the poor ones went through, and then they filed past these, it's like, it's like passport control mm -hmm. in an airport. You file through, and there's left and there's right. And left was, nope, you're going back oh, to Europe. It was like Tinder, yeah. You're not coming in. Oh. You're an anarchist. You've got, you've got some disease. You're, you're too poor. You're going back. Uh, right was like, okay, you can enter and go work in the sausage factory mm -hmm. until you're dead. Right. And so it's like, you know, reject. <laughs> until work, your fingers reject become part work. of the sausage. Yeah. Back to Europe. Yeah. Back to work. Yeah. So. We're and that's putting each that's other to work. swipe white swipe 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 right swipe. I mean, that's yeah. that's the You're that's putting, a nice version. There's a word. So you will be putting the ladies to work, and Amy will be putting the men to work. Well, let's not get swipe. too heteronormative. But I mean, that's, well, that's the thing. Like, I'm talking about you personally. <laughs> who are you, oh, yeah, who are you yeah. swiping? Well, on? I mean, I select women. So the I don't only know. Time Amy. A, the only time a man comes through is when um, they insist that they're a woman. I don't know if that tells you anything about me, but um, it just it's crazy because. There's no contingency. It's just like the customer is always right and you decide before everything. Well, in, in addition to the fact that lockdown has has shifted dating entirely towards these online applications, um, you've also got other things like, you know, the latent 
um, sort of stance that it's sexist to approach a woman at a bar, for example, yes. something like that, Ooh. or to approach a woman Ooh. out, out. toxically masculine. Right, exactly. And so it, it comports very well with the neoliberal desire to corral all of human dating into hmm. these, you know, Facebook controlled, you know, platforms. Why or, is that neoliberal? If you can expand. Well, I mean, it, it, because literally the, these are companies that control these apps. Okay. These are companies that are dictating our love lives, right? And they're determining who we see come up on our Twitter or not mm. our Twitter feed, our Tinder feed or what have you, um, according to some algorithm mm. that's working behind the scenes that they have complete control over, right? Like that, that is the neoliberalization. It's of a marketing. Love. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like Google. Yeah. You think you're getting a free search engine, but you're right. actually it, giving them free data. Right, right. To sell to people. What, what bothers me about it is, is how it's only patriarchal and sexist if the woman is not attracted to you here's the insult here's the insult if you if you if you're if you're brad pitt that shit never is sexist or patriarchal that's just cool isn't it though because just hit on me that's fantastic because james franco if you look like but if you look like clarence thomas (laughs) then it's always patriarchal and it's always (laughs) sexist i think there's something to this it's only bad when it's it's only bad when it's ugly and yeah so so, pretty then it's so what does that say about how this is just a means of weird control, right? Like, it does because, seem clear that identity and representation discourse is human resources ideology. That is definitely it's just, clear. I mean, there's so many real grievances, and then a bunch of assholes have taken and weaponized all of this, right? Like, there's there's real grievances that women have. There's real grievances that black people have. Mm-hmm. And then, these assholes come along and they're like, I'm going to weaponize this yeah. mm-hmm. to take well, no. the edge off of like day-to-day life. Right. It's not weaponizing. Or, or, is it, well, it is weaponizing because people weaponizing. get, I mean, well, I mean, the fact that Scott Rudin has a job, even though he's like basically thrown people through glass and like injured them because nothing he did was like sexual, but like uh, Louis CK can't fucking book a yeah, club because yeah. he like jerked off in front of someone mm-hmm. after telling him that he was about to jerk off, which I find he shouldn't have done it. But he doesn't have a job because of that. When I right? say it's not weaponizing, what I mean is what I think this is about is cutting costs. Because the PMC is the managerial <clears throat> class is an overhead cost of capital, aggregate surplus value production. So they get paid in order to cut other costs. Yeah, but the, this so they're cuts justified. deeper than the PMC. I mean, well, this isn't just the PMC. But you this can give counterexamples. Like consulting today. firms are where this ideology comes from until it files into HR departments of I, of I don't workplaces. think that it comes from them. I and think because, they latched onto it because it was useful. But right. That's But that's the point. I mean, I don't think they're weaponizing it. Like, the thing is, these people don't give a fuck about, these people don't give a fuck about uh, women or black people or, you know, you name it. It only matters when it's a cost that needs to be cut in the workplace. What's the cost? <laughs> Well, They're if the workplace is inefficient instinct. because you've got some uh, alpha bull who's terrorizing all the women, then you got to fire him. But why? Is it because he's a bad person and those poor women? No. No one actually cares about women. You know, if, if people actually cared about racism, they would have said, fuck the royal family of Great Britain before this bullshit with the marriage because those people right. are responsible for f- fucking genocide of people of color, but they don't, right? So it's just perfectly clear that... Yeah, but see... You, you, I think you're inverting they the only causality there. about making the workplace. Because it's not that the PMC created this as their, as their thing. It's that this thing had already started being used as a weapon by many people, right. by different groups, for many reasons. But they're all It's PMC. just that... No, 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 no. I, I, I like... No, they're the, not all PMC. Like, the prime like example of this that I agree with Marco on is, is Emmett Till. Like, that was a weaponization that is historical. Um, You had... 
the the scary black boy who whistled at a woman, a white woman in that case, and he got murdered for it. It was like 12. That was a weaponization of gender and race at the same time um, that had nothing to do with the PMC. Nothing. Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. Because that, I mean, is it? I mean, how? Yeah, it is. It is. It's all it's all like a spectrum of how you grab these weird, you know, binary structures of race and gender and then you kind of use them for your own motives not giving a shit about the actual issues involved in it right right? Mm -hmm. it's like if i started demanding that i be given a job at a law firm because of imperialism against puerto rico you know it's like you gotta give me a job at a law firm because you guys are imperialist against puerto rico yeah but that's literally what's happening i'm not actually fixing shit in puerto rico i'm just basically making right trying to grab my own piece of the cake you know like oh i want this for me you know and and when you individualize these grievances, mm-hmm. that's when you start getting this ego, egotistical driven, because you're no longer dealing with, so, you know, any systemic issues. You're no longer dealing with like the actual problem. You're literally just grabbing what you can for yourself in this hyper atomized, like individualistic society that we're in. But but isn't this like what I was trying to get at earlier was like in the past, capitalism would use racism and certain kinds of sexism to its own advantage, you know, in certain it's still ways. Doing it. Yeah, of course, of course, but it's doing it differently. And so it seems to me that this case like Emmett Till, that's that's in the time when capitalism used racism. But now after neoliberalism, capitalism capitalism uses uh, moral virtuousness. Capitalism uses uh, anti-racism. Capitalism will use anything. It'll use woke but ideology. Anti-racism is racist. I know, I know, I agree. I'm just saying that this this Emmett Till example isn't a counterexample. That's just the same thing from a previous epoch. And but we're talking about this new situation, right? Where like, well, it for, is a manifestation of it's it's a continuation well, of of the thing because it, the it, Emmett Till example was defending someone's honor as well. It was a moral question. We're defending also the good Christian woman. But from the macro perspective, you know? racism is a way of managing the working class. Yeah, but yes. my, my issue is the idea that this is some PMC created right. thing and they're the ones doing it. It's not. They're just they just grabbed it on. It's like it's like there's an AK-47 and many people are grabbing the AK-47 to use it. You know, it's like but, but not the, just not just reason, Russians. The reason that it's it's achieved such cultural hegemony is because the PMC have glommed onto it much more than any other social stratum, right? Like the working class is not interested in this stuff by and large. Yeah, you've got individuals, you've got certain pockets of the working class where this stuff has has credence, has has credence, but but not like you see it with the PMC, right? This is there, there, they're crazy. There's a good reason for that. There's actually a really good reason for that, which is the working class. If you go to like you know, to be super egghead. If you go to Althusser's introduction to Marxist capital, he talks about how you they understand capital easier because they actually have lived exploitation more directly. So the working class understands that material conditions are a real thing because they live it in their exploitation every single day immediately, right? So it's harder to get them to engage with this because this is actually, in a way, a, a kind of... Uh, Derrida, Foucault, like child, right? Where you start saying that culture is primary, material stuff doesn't exist. If you see a comet, you're going to hit the earth. That's not real because you can change it with your cultural shit. You know, like that level of insanity. And working class, they, they live like lack. They live material conditions under skin. So it's it's harder for them to 
to just grab onto that. They're like, that shit's crazy. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, and also like, you know, I keep going back to the fact that a lot of this stuff for the PMC is a tool for intra PMC competition for scarce jobs, right? Like in jobs that are meaningless in the, in the sense that if you're, if you're a working class person, jobs, right. If you're a working class person, you're a carpenter or what have you, the way you compete with other carpenters is by being a good carpenter first off. And by, I guess, working Mm -hmm. long hours. Not necessarily. Um, Well, I don't know, but, but it's like, if you're a PMC, if you're a journalist, if you're an academic, particularly in the humanities, um, the way you compete with other people for these jobs, it, it can't be independently verified by anyone else, right? There's no action, there's no product. There's no product. There's no objective standard by which to say, oh, this person is a is a good anthropologist and this person is not, other. right? The only way you compete is by weaponizing some available ideological tool against your competitors, right? And I think that's why the PMC loves this shit. I mean, it's not the only way you compete, but it's the way that if you're a hack, you right. can compete, right? I mean, like, if you're good at your discipline, you can produce good work, but, but the, the hiring going to beat you before hiring right. because they're going to be able to hack it faster. Because in the, the trade committee is full of hacks anyway, so... Yeah, they hacks no hack, for sure. Because right. you see this also in the trades and the fact that a lot of guys who go into the trades have a connection, a familial connection, mm-hmm. and that historical familial connection that they have was denied to other people. So there's still a motivation to you know, keep that going, you know, to deny access to other people. So the denial of access based on race, gender, and, you know, not class in this aspect, well, class to an extent, mm-hmm. still manifests in the working class. So it, it's it, it's more represented in, I guess, the PMC because there is no product mm-hmm. to judge, but it still manifests in the working class into who has the actual opportunity to create that product. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it is something that is a part of wider society and not exclusive to the, the PMC. I, I mean, those jobs are heavily guarded too. Like I, I applied yes. for the apprenticeship in the IB, you know, the international Brother, brotherhood of electric workers mm-hmm. and they have tests and I scored great in the test. But then when I got to the interviews, recommendation, there was this issue that they gave extra points to certain kinds of people. And I didn't fit any of those kinds of people. One of them being ex-military. Mm-hmm. They just got extra points. So it's everywhere. So the ex-military would just leapfrog me in the in the waiting list to get in every time, which leads to bizarrely a bunch of conservative people joining these unions and then being anti-union people in the unions which undermines the unions in the long run because it, you know, it's like a bizarre unions are PMC bureaucracy. So like, no, are they? unions electricians. I mean, they're not, what do you mean PMC? Those guys right. are they literally police union. The, u- the you union, mean the union is a, itself. Yeah, like the, the union, union bureaucracy right. is a PMC. Yeah, but yeah. this isn't the union bureaucracy. The two guys that interviewed me clearly were electricians. Right. Mm. <laughs> they were not, these guys were not like PMC unless you, you know, you mean that anyone who, and, who, and I can guarantee you real short that if your father was an electrician, you would have been an electrician. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there would have been some, you know, connection. And hey. but but they, they give certain they guard those, you know, very much for people who to reproduce what's already there in yep. place. Right. 
So am I understanding correctly, what we're talking about is that PMC ideology um, excludes toxic masculinity or like strives to exclude toxic masculinity. I'm not, I don't think it finds any utility in the mantra. Right, yeah, it's it's right. workplace incompatible masculinity right. would be a better way to put it. I'm not saying that it's good. Of course there are problems and that's why it's weeded out, but let's, let's, let's drop the pretenses. This is about workplace, uh, the like smooth functioning of the workplace. Is it not? I mean, it's from a managerial perspective, like that, that, that essay by Adorno where he says, you know, ladies and gentlemen, whoever says culture also says administration, whether mm-hmm. he wants to or not, mm-hmm. because to view ways of living and religion and philosophy and all of these life practices and all of these different things as culture presupposes the administrative standpoint, which classifies things, filters, administrative, administrates plans, um, coordinates it just strikes me i'm thinking about the change of workplace organization and sort of workplace culture in silicon valley for example with the kind of google models of like this is a play place and we're all going to like hang out and think and then i think okay well then of course uh, feminine structure or traditionally feminine structures of management are going to make sense because you're basically in a giant montessori school (laughs) right Uh, right and so (laughs) you can't have some you can't have some bowl uh running around in there that's that's the um the hyper masculine is being excluded from the pmc but when we talk about the the masculine isn't necessarily excluded because there's still masculine qualities that are very much conducive to being pmc as in the the whole idea of grin and bear it you know Mm -hmm. you're supposed to take things internally and you're not supposed to express your feelings you know if you have a problem you can go to hr and talk to them but don't talk to your coworkers about it. Is that toxic deal. masculinity though? The internalization of that would be stra- hyper masculinity. Uh, okay, and kind of the idea of being like the silent protector because I, I know on my job that they are really like um not not surprised isn't isn't the word, but they're really like um like proud that I'm a calm person mm. at work. What? Um, <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? How what does that mean? This to you? <laughs> so proud that you're calm? Like, I need some backup information. I need some some background information. Like, How so does that make sense? If they'll, they'll hear me on the phone with a client or like, I remember times like when I, like one of the times when it was really weird was like I you're was- You're one of my best friends, but I wouldn't say I'm proud of you for being calm. What the fuck? So like- when I'm on the phone with a client and the client is getting exasperated and they're, they don't know what's going on. If I start expressing to them things that aren't their concern, like, well, I'm confused too. And let's work through this together. I can't have that position, which would probably be better. Like let's work through this together would probably be the best way to do it. But the best way for the company is to give an air of authority on the subject. I know this subject. I'm going to get you through it. I'm okay. Here's how this works. Okay. Let me, let me bring this up on my computer and, um, oh, okay. Let me go through some, uh, rhetoric about, you have to be um, a docile domesticated. Yeah. This, this is, this is how CAD works. Here's how we technically do the area calculation. Oh, damn. And, I hear the change in your voice. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Yes. So that's what they're okay. proud of? That's what that's what they'll be proud of. And one of the weird examples was I was talking to my mom because it doesn't just go into how you perform on the job. They want this as a culture mm-hmm. because I was talking to my I mom when we were moving and she had lost the keys to my car and we needed the car keys to get it towed. And 
I don't I didn't get mad at her for losing the keys and everyone was like oh, that is like I, I would have you're such a big boy right and you're such a big boy we're so proud of you and it's like to me like it's it's just normal like that's just my personality you know yeah. it's I, and, and it comes Wait, from the macho. Like, I don't. That's what they get can't understand. Because that's what they can't understand. That is your masculinity. That's what I was taught as a man. A man is always calm, collected, and gets others paternally. You can say it's a paternal mm-hmm. instinct. I get others through their problems, even if I am having a hard time. My Failure hard times compute. don't Failure matter. Compute. Because I don't matter, right? That's, that's the masculine. I don't matter. You matter. Right. And not only do I don't matter and you matter, you matter because the company's money matters. So we're going to get you through this nice and calm. Make sure that you're happy and make sure you understand it to a degree where you're happy, but you don't really understand it. And everyone gets paid. Everyone's a winner Mm -hmm. and the masculine is maintained. So they expect that of women, too. It's really scary when you say that they don't they want this as a culture. Yes. That's what is the that, Trump voter hates, and they is that think about that it's liberalism. Control, though, because, I mean, there are times when you are supposed to basically put it in a different gear and just fucking destroy the other person. Not me. But, may, but maybe not in architecture, but I'm a lawyer, right? And sometimes that violence has to come no, out. No, I mean not me. Like, not it has to come out. Not the Who technician. Does Who does it? The boss. When there is a time for someone to, uh, when, when the client is asking for something that is unreasonable, that's not my job. So you're polite all I'm the way down. Polite, calm, collected. I'm the silent, you know, pass it up. Man. And when someone needs to be the dominant, domineering man, that's the boss. That's the hierarchy. Well, I don't, this, little, this kind of comports this comports with the fact that in the past you used to have a system in the United States where people would get hired in the mailroom and they would work their way up to CEO, right? Or at least that was the the Fantasy. theory. But but now the C suite is a separate case within the company that has MBAs and that are hired directly mm-hmm. into management, yeah, right? Yeah. They don't work their way up mm-hmm. by and large from the lower ranks, and so they can be trained in a totally different culture of work that is separate from the culture of the middle management and below right so are you a hired hitman marco or are you expected to be pretty much yeah like i i i have to so you have to kill it's always about controlling your level of violence right there's you you can't just go in guns blazing but sometimes you really have to just basically bend the other person to what you need them to Mm -hmm. do you know Mm. like it's just and that's just part of the i mean i negotiate for a living right and mm-hmm. so negotiations can be we all get ahead or they can be zero sum. I mean, there's all sorts of issues. That's the project in the, in manager's that process, job. right? And That's so, not my job. Yeah, I mean, so 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 there's a, a way in which masculinity is context dependent, right? Right. And 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 here's the thing that I find interesting about this whole discussion. I find you know there's this weird way in which it's say, like, would we say that Hillary Clinton is masculine? Cause she's perfectly willing to push a button and kill 50 million people. Right. Yes. She's that like, masculine so, so is that masculine. I don't know that I would say that's masculine. Yeah, I mean, is there a toxic femininity? Is that? Well, I, 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 I can't say that. That's not allowed. Um, yeah, yeah. I sanction as 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 a woman. I sanction. But what would toxic femininity be? Really, patriarchy. That coming from a man with toxic femininity would be is why didn't you give me any? 
Yeah. But <laughs> you have to explain like how your interactions with other women, because the, the hyper masculine is an interaction between men and mm. how that goes out of control. Yeah. So how does it but that's go out of control? Masculinity. That's exactly yeah. that's hyper masculinity. Is it, but toxic masculinity. Hyper masculinity can move into toxic I don't masculinity. Think, I don't think that hyper masculinity is always out of control. Sometimes it's actually about right. figuring out what your masculinity is in a safe space. Right, because oh there's no women there to like mean? police your masculinity. Right, right, yeah. With no women around, there are no stakes, so you can. So figure you can this just kind of test it men. and see where you're at in that right. pecking order, and see what it means, what it doesn't mean. Like you have certain friends that you can talk about certain things. You know, it. it it's, well, play. It's like play is like practice. Like you know, kittens they pretend to bite each other's throats, and you know, if they were adult cats in nature or whatever, they'd be murdering each other. But play is like practice. And, you know, cats don't remember that. The little kitten doesn't say to the other kitten, hey, you remember that time you bit me on the neck? That was really fucked up. And like, no, it's just play. And so when boys are playing football or whatever, it's like, you know, biff, boom, bang or whatever. And then you yeah, until they have a concussion and die. Forget, well, you know, <laughs> eggs are broken. But I mean, you forget about until someone gets hurt. And then it's, it's just smart. hilarious. Right. <laughs> so, it's still funny. But, but going back, yeah, yeah. like, Amy, like, I, I want to hear, like, what, what would hyper femininity be? And how would that move into toxic femininity? I have, oh, my God. I mean, I, I don't I, I, like is the Karen the hyper feminine I, I think Karen is a, a, slur, a slur against women <laughs> sure of course but a Karen a Karen is like a Karen is like mid-level she's a mid-level bureaucrat right if you want to have like an alpha toxic female you've got to go <laughs> yeah. oh no yeah. she would probably go yeah. into and, the basket and I had one I had regional director Mrs. Marilyn A. Sanders of the <laughs> <laughs> she's not God, God bless you, Mrs. Sanders. But uh, from from the United States Census Bureau of Chicago Regional Office, she oh, was. You she put was, a target on her back. Oh no, I'm fine now. I'm I'm, I'm out of there. But she she what was about really a poor woman. Oh, you kidding me? Regional Director Mrs. Marilyn but A. Sanders doesn't give a shit. It's not feminine about, just because she's a woman. Was her no, being the question at the is, top? What is it? Is her is that her exhibiting macho qualities rather than feminine? I qualities? don't know. To me, regional director Mrs. Marilyn A. Sanders was not. <laughs> what was she doing? She was not a macho character. What did she, she do was, to you? She didn't do. I every time she walked, I left. As soon as she entered the room, I was out of there. But because, yeah, I mean, a macho woman would just mean someone who's like, if you know, going around. Exhibiting their sexuality, no, 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 like not at all, Brown, not at all. Jackie Regional Brown, director Mrs. Marilyn A. Sanders was, was about macho. was about five two, five three. She, you know, she she dressed very conservatively, very old school. You know, sort of. You know, she she was, was she not, hot. She was like seven. She was like 65, <laughs> 70 just, years old. She was not. She I will say she was not hot. I don't believe she was ever hot. I don't think that was ever part of regional director Mrs. Marilyn A. Sanders. Yeah, outside in the bar after work. Who knows? But I, I doubt it. I think that that her particular style of leadership never had anything to do with sexuality. It never had. Well, all leadership has to do so with what, libido. What what made it feminine? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it was, it was just this. It everyone in the office, like you, you got hired. You had a couple weeks of training, and slowly you began to realize why do people always say Mrs. Sanders, mm-hmm. right? Like, why, why is everyone always aware if Mrs. Sanders is in the vicinity? Mm-hmm. And you know, she's, like, she's the boss. <laughs> right, she's the boss. She's but the it's boss. like, there's something else above just being right. the boss but going is, on is, here, is, right? Maybe like she's manipulated, like, like that, that comes from her macho qualities, right? 
that I don't she know, demands. But matcha. You're asking about matcha. Whatever. Right. Uh, I, no, no, I mean, no, I mean, you're saying what, what I want to know feminine, right? is what are the feminine right. qualities that right. she is using to control the room? Because there are, you know, feminine like beauty is a way to control the room. Yeah. Right. That or, right. you know, some women have a way of like another example from my life. I had a friend. This this was one of the only women who's ever seen me emotional, mm-hmm. right? And there was a time when we were throwing a party uh, for a friend, another friend of mine's birthday, and uh, my roommate, who played like he was insane, he pulled out a knife on Uh-oh. this guy who took one of his beers. Of course, <laughs> of course, because I had gotten you know a, a, a PBR for everybody to drink, uh-huh. but this little guy, this guy was like five two, five Damn. maybe, yeah. and Rob is six three, and this dude takes one of the cores. He didn't and Rob, need the knife. He could exactly. just throw his knife. But my response, being the macho, was to laugh at him, to just mm, dig yeah, in, yeah, to right. make him feel like he's a fucking asshole, right, you know. Right. But. Aaron goes in very calm. She doesn't laugh at him. She doesn't demean him. She just calmly explains to him, like, you know, you can get another beer. It's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, in a calm way. And Aaron could do that at any time. And Aaron wasn't like this ultra feminine looking woman. She was also six feet tall, Mm -hmm. you know, and she was a a big girl, not big as in body mass, but she was tall. Right. She had presence, Mm -hmm. but she was also a calming force Force. Force. in a group of dudes who were very excitable. Like Mm -hmm. I was always ready for a fight and Rob was always just psychotic. But that sounds just like leveraging her difference. You know, like I think that could that could go in either way, male or female. But if we think about masculinity as like if we take seventh graders, because I feel like that's one of like mm. the playground and as seventh graders, a place where you begin to see these like gender differentiation sociologically really, really uh, taking form. And so boys are out there beating the crap out of each other and the girls, what are they doing? Psychologically mobbing one another. Mm-hmm. Um getting people get, getting the group shit. to to um uh excommunicate someone oh, mm-hmm. um and that's something i could begin to think about toxic femininity would be about sort of psychological manipulation to right. mob so is religion which, feminine social no, no, no. justice warriors me too that's a witch hunt yeah. It's not a witch hunt because their witches didn't no, I, exist. I don't mean but that it's in a, the. Um, it's an extrajudiciary right. lynching process. That's what I mean. Yeah, mm. like that. I mean, which happens because there's a sense of a lack of power, or a lack of ability, and so you know, not in the colloquial sense, witch hunt. Like, oh, you're just looking for somebody to burn. I mean, like, like back in the day, what was it? Where did they do that? Salem. Salem, right? Where it was really. But like, there weren't witches. No, of course there weren't witches. Is, but, well, women, you're talking about a dynamic where women are playing with each or girls are playing with each other, right? And the, the power the power differential isn't different, right? right? So there isn't a physical power differential. Why doesn't the macho manifest in their interactions? Why well, does it manifest differently? Well, that's that's one thing I noticed, you know, uh, as I was navigating regional director Mrs. Marilyn A. Sanders. What <laughs> <laughs> was that? Not a real person. Right. The men the men could kind this of is from dis- a Kurt Vonnegut novel. No, no this is his imaginary the men could kind of disengage from the whole psychodrama, right? Like I could oh, just so there was psychodrama. I could just leave. I could just leave. I could just oh it, But she only exercised it on the women. I wouldn't say only, but but it was it was much more complicated concentrated like Mm -hmm. the the that and it wasn't just her like her direct subordinate was a woman her direct subordinate was a woman right so like i had three layers of female bosses right going all the way up um to regional director mrs marilyn a sanders and (laughs) and it it was just like 
And, and yeah, so it was like there was definitely something there that I wasn't really privy to that was happening. And you noticed it on calls like there would be huge calls with like dozens and dozens of people on these calls, entire regional calls. Right. And the call would always start with the deputy regional director, Mrs. Elisa Johnson, saying we're so grateful to our regional director, Mrs. Marilyn A. Sanders. And like, you know, go on and on and on. Right. For a bit. It's like, why is this happening? Like, what's going on? Like, what kind of liturgical right. shit is this? <laughs> This is a whole goddamn ceremony. Yeah. And so that's where you see the kind of you you see the the the, it's the like edges. A Democratic of- Socialists of America meeting. <laughs> so <laughs> meeting. my question is like well the schema for the macho were, you know, um an acceptance of danger, uh hypersexuality. Um what are the schema for like girls and women exactly. that produce that uh, manipulation? As a tactic right. for control or, you know, uh, I guess, um, you know, a way of adapting to the environment, you know, a way of controlling their surroundings because everyone is interested conformity in control. To to no, that's what I was saying, the psychosocial conformity, uh, mm-hmm. this getting group, a group think, which is generally based also on, a, of, on exclusion. Mm-hmm. So like there's a bad guy. So how outside. it comes from scarcity and war for the macho, where does that come from for the, the feminine? Comes from the proper management of the home, right? Making sure that everyone is safe, everyone is taken care of. You know, there's no disturbance. There's no everything is going fine, right? Like bourgeois domesticity. Uh, I think, or maybe not even bourgeois necessarily, but 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 yeah, like the a properly run home where nothing is out of place. I don't know about that. I mean, it seems to me that all of these things, whether it's masculine or feminine, are, are figuring out how one can ex- exercise control. How one can, how one can, you know, control other people. It's about power. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll give you an example of of how, I mean, I think women have a weird relationship with it because whenever men interact, there's always a threat of physical violence Mm -hmm. present. If you cross a certain line, you will get punched in the face. Mm -hmm. It is going to happen. (laughs) And even if you're a bigger guy, you still don't want to get punched in the face because they could hurt you, Right. you know? Even the biggest guy knows that even the littlest guy can hurt him. Yeah. So there's always that weird implicit threat there, like always. And you know, that's true. Like there's always this threat of that there. So, so there's a certain level of like, there are lines you do not fucking cross. Okay, cool. With the relationship with a woman, it's kind of weird because it's like, yeah, you hit me, but nothing's going to happen to me. Right. So there is this weird and, and there's women who know this, and there's a sense of ineffectual sort of, I can't physically do this. So I got to find some other way. I'll to take away all power. your friends. I'll ruin your fucking oh, life. Yeah. I mean, that's. So, so, so it becomes kind of like mm. that. So I'll give you an example of something that, that, that happened to me. This couple that my ex-wife and I were we used to be friends with, the wife was very smart. She was tiny. I'm talking like four foot. 11 or something like that right wow and and she could not reach shit in the cupboard kind of yeah. like you know get her a jet and she had that very much as a part of her personality <laughs> but she loved getting into arguments and you know i'm not like a genius but i'm like relatively smart and so if she would get into an argument with me and she couldn't win she would get very angry mm. like because she got used to to kind of having that be like a way that she could exert power mm. over like you know people by being very smart and 
And one time she started calling my ex-wife and basically trying to insinuate that I was physically violent and started digging, trying to like mm. figure out if I was like beating her up and stuff like that. You must so, be because you're uh yeah, you're, you're anti-establishment non-conforming. I mean that's uh, kind of how that's kind of how the friendship ended, right? Oh. Um because she was like, What is this lady doing? She's like, Oh, your your husband is, is he, he's violent, right? I, I don't want to send my kids to play with your kid because he might you might have guns. It's like we don't have guns. He's not violent. Like, what are you talking about? You know? But it, was like this weird, it is but psycho. that's the but that yeah, it is. But that's what you deal with in the workplace, right? People trying to use this kind well, of bullshit HR, to kind of create hierarchy. Yeah, and that's so what, that, that's that's what that's what the academia academia is pumping into the left. But mobbing isn't necessarily PMC. Well, it, it's like mm, sure the it six is. foot ten guy who walks in the room and you know basically physically bodily threatens you just with their presence. This is the equivalent, right? Right. That's what this idea of like what what it would toxic femininity be. So this says I mean, that, that's people don't explore this. Right. That's what I'm saying is it seems like- it imp- doesn't exist. <laughs> well, because right now we're all about writing out everything that is white male normative. And so, of course, we can come up with something like, okay, there's a there's a there's an essential characteristic to male behavior that we need to eradicate. But of course, there's no toxic, there's, you know, masculinity without femininity. <laughs> what, Daniel? There's only one, ass- okay, essentialism generally is not permitted, except. Except if you're white and male. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Boo. Well, Boo. But, but there was there was a flash. Can you uh, there was a flash of this. What's that? What? Can you repeat what you said? I didn't hear it. Oh, I said, generally speaking with these folks, essentialism is off the table. But with respect to uh, white, cis, hetero, patriarchy look i don't think these things are good i'm just saying that that the way that the 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 crowd seems to conceive of them is pretty essentialistic but there was a flash there was a flash of this recognition of toxic femininity precisely with the whole karen thing right Mm. which is karen is an outgrowth of the white feminism you know sort of white feminism thing Um, right white bourgeois right and this is a way to make an anti-feminist stance kosher by laundering it as an anti-white or anti-racist stance, right? And that's why it was able to achieve some measure of escape velocity. No, I don't understand it. Please explain. Yes. Back it up. Do it again. The whole Karen thing, right, comes from the white feminism slur, right? Like, where people would say, (laughs) oh, that's you know, white feminists are the worst, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're not, right. They don't account for intersectionality. Right. I mean, the whole other, 1970s. This other nonsense, right? So you don't mean people who would say that's bourgeois feminism. Well, that's that may be what they mean, or, or it may be related to that. But what they're saying is what makes it okay for them to say that is by saying that it's white, yeah. right? If they said it's bourgeois feminism, then you would have... You know, these are say Karen, you know? right? You could conceive of a black Karen, and that would be inappropriate, right? Yeah. So right. this is this is white feminism, and that's why it's okay to criticize it. Uh, um, yeah, because gotcha. a lot of the Karens weren't wealthy women, like right. the one barbecue Becky. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but oddly <laughs> enough, like it's also thought about frequently as sort of a suburban housewife. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's, you know? it's hatred for the lower middle class. I think. Well, you, you can't women. acknowledge material conditions. You always right. have to turn it into some other identity category, right? right? But if you acknowledge material conditions, then you're looking at the actual problem and then and that's what they don't right. want, right? Right. So keep multiplying the categories that we can 
you know, have the the Ouroboros, you know, of <laughs> identity politics working on and and what does the Ouroboros never look do? at the center. Well, what what does it do, Margo? The Ouroboros? It eats its own ass, yeah. man. <laughs> the snake eating its own ass. Having a good time. Okay. <laughs> I've been doing it for a long time. Hey. Just, uh, yep. I don't know. I feel like this is the new liberal, like neoliberal, like I read this article, this interview, Walter Ben Michaels. It was one of the first things in Jacobin. It was on left neoliberalism. And I feel like this would be a better word for most of what goes on. Like, this is the left neoliberal norm, this kind of stuff. Like, no, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it is. But, you know, like we're we're in we're in a society where the media and academia are controlled by left neoliberals. The people that you've just referred to. And so they have every incentive to not recognize their own existence. And so they try to displace criticism of them onto onto criticism of, of identity groups, right? Individuals. Or, right. Into onto individual, individual racists, mm -hmm. or onto out out of, you know, sort of out of favor identity groups like cis white men or, or white or Karen's or what have you, right? And this is you know, this is their way of displacing criticism of their own class position onto other parts mm -hmm. of society and onto individuals. Um, but of course, it has no traction in the broader society. The broader society hates this universally, without exception. It's just that the broader society doesn't have its own media outlets. It doesn't have its own academies. It doesn't have, you know, unions are dead. And so, to, to the extent they're not dead, they're basically captured in their internal bureaucracies by the by the PMC. In the first I don't place. know if the wider society hates this university, universally. Oh, it because hates it. Because they were me? perfectly willing to accept it when the criticism was of the buck. You know, the, the hyper-masculine black male uh, super predator. They were yeah. perfectly willing to accept that, but what they hate was when it turned on to everyone. Yeah. And everyone was individualized. Right. Um, that's what they hate. And I I, I guess in, in a sense you're right. They were comfortable until it reached them. Right. And now it's universally hated. Right. But um I think um, when we're talking about the PMC, you got to be careful to not individualize them. Right. They right. are a product of a structure, too. Precisely. Well, um, no one wants to be treated the way that black men are treated in our society. Yeah, like I mean, the guy in the just, airport. That's what, it, that's what it, I mean. That's basically what it amounts to, right? It's like, oh, don't treat me like that. Treat them like that. But me, come on, leave me alone. And now they don't want to so, be treated like the Mexican immigrant. Yeah. I mean, so, so it, it, which all South American you know, people are in America. Yeah, it would be, it would be, it would be absolutely insane, including Marco, to take a Puerto PMC Rico. person and just say, you, <laughs> you, like, like the way, the way that, the way that it happens, like you low down, dirty, no good, racist, homophobic, cis, blah, 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 right? All the know? things. Like it wouldn't make any sense to direct that at a HR PMC, uh, pink pants suit wearing, um, cancel monger or whatever. I mean, because like you just said, I mean, these are class dynamics. People's attunements are socially determined and so forth. So, right. The question is how to go forward with that. So this is a bit of a non sequitur, but I keep thinking about um, sort of kids and the way that masculinity and femininity are formed at an early age. And why is it that, you know, with this incel culture or also with just what we were talking about, the fact that masculinity is e easily labeled as, as toxic and people accept that. Um, but of course there's no investigation of other kinds of, uh, 
you know, femininity or I don't non-binary itty and, and mm-hmm. toxic qualities of that. And I just keep makes me makes makes me think a lot about um the 1990s and, and Disney movies and about the fact that the 90s uh and I you know haven't watched Disney movies, but the you know, movies what we I was raised on, like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. Um Aladdin, um but the Lion King, uh, mm. you know, Obama, Mulan. <laughs> but like, it was constantly, it was constantly focused on building. Up, it, but it was constantly focused on building up young girls with mm. like no good male like boy characters. Aladdin, you know, that's interesting. Um, Beauty and the Beast. But I be, had a crush on the the girl cat from uh, Lion King. I, but so the one time that it is about a, a male voice. a male character who's like developing into a, you know a, a, an adult, it's like a cat. You know, mm-hmm. they don't even mm-hmm. like make a, a an actual boy; mm-hmm. they make it into a cat. Um, but you know, it just doesn't seem that there there's any kind of uh, even interest in addressing like boy development in in the cultural yeah, sphere. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. GI Joes. Um, what about Aladdin? That, exactly. That was a, that. that well, that's a of, poor boy who falls in love with a rich girl, right? I mean, we could do an interesting class analysis of Aladdin because Aladdin. Um, you know, on a side from that is uh, how I always that that's going to be my wedding when I get married, and that's why <laughs> I still lift weights so that when I have my wedding, I can you know uh, perform the line when they say um, stronger. Than you know, ten men with swords. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can be that with the whole Sultan getup on. I can be Prince Ali. But just if you, I mean, you think about it proportionally, there's significantly more female lead characters uh, in Disney movies, and uh, you know, well, about- maybe they're marketing to young girls, which is well, funny. And, and Disney movies are are not; they don't have the same kind of cultural prominence that they used to have, right? Like it's over. It's over. Oh, but like when we so when we were kids and like we right. were all seeing these things, like you know, there was no. There was just no interest in, yeah, mm. showing young boys that they could also be great. I think the assumption being girls need to be built up, but what did that then do right. for like that was of, the nineties? Well, and, and and boys have video games. Frankly, they don't need. But I played video like games this. in the nineties. I feel like a lot did of you? girls play. Yeah, yeah, right. I had a brother. Well, yeah. that's the difference. <laughs> there like, you that's go. The, you had a brother. <laughs> that's the interesting thing about the nineties, though, because that was that was a consumer. Uh, I guess uh, result from consumerism because yeah. originally boys and girls played video games equally when they were introduced in the 80s yeah. and the Atari. early 90s. Pong. But they were asking the question, which aisle do we put video uh, games mm, in? Mm. So then boys someone can- decided we're going to put blue? video games in the boys aisle. So then boys started playing video games more than girls. So that, that was that's a consumer product, the whole video game. Well, the thing. whole thing is curated market bullshit capitalist market bullshit i mean my goodness i mean obviously like this whole ethos like you said the culture that's being instilled in people by it's obviously managerial capitalist i don't know i'm not here but the stuff i just think well it seems like the gender stuff with kids is just more about creating more products and more things people have to buy so like if a family has two kids and one's a boy and one's a girl they have to buy entirely different clothes Mm -hmm. and toys for both children so you spend more money you can't buy one set of toys which you used to do like you know 100 years ago all kids had hair about this long Mm -hmm. and they all wore the same thing and little boys there's no gender to children yeah languages (laughs) with proper fucking grammatical structures (laughs) these these germans that's not american how is it in arabic (laughs) arabic only has masculine feminine gender yeah. So the masculine so is the default. Okay, so the barbar- but a child is a tiflis masculine. I'm trying yeah. to think of what cartoons um, were what were for boys. Nino, besides Dragon Ball well, Z, I mean, and GI Joe, you, you of course. Would, both you say ninos and for just yeah. girls, you say ninas. 
non-binary. Yeah. But but like the default, if you're just referring to a random child, it's un niño, right? Like, mm-hmm. Well, one, one whose gender you don't know. Smash right. the fucking. Right. Or if you have a group, if you have a large uh, group, it's <laughs> el niños, even if it's boys and girls. Right. Like like mm. Arabic is the same way. Los niños. <clears throat> el atfal is could be yeah. yeah. Hmm. That that is strange. That that doesn't. Well, yeah, we don't do that in English. Because English doesn't have. Grammatic we don't have gendered. Gender, yeah. American uh, uh, American English. Yeah, I, I'm actually. Huh convinced that this whole idea of gender and language is just like it was the easy categorization to make because it's got nothing to do with it like yeah there's oh, yeah. items yeah, yeah. that there, no, there, so there, there's just words that end in a words that end in o yeah. and this right. is like what we do with them and then yeah. we sort of put gender on top to create a category well, well actually the, in, the grammar european gender actually evolves from an old animate inanimate distinction mm-hmm. um and that's why in languages like latin the neuter plural and the feminine singular are the same, right? Um, they both end in ah. So right, amazing. Yeah, and so this is actually so an it's in- fucking metaphysics. Yeah, it's well, and the same thing happens in Semitic, like in Arabic, which only has masculine and feminine. The uh, the plural of a non-human thing is treated as feminine mm-hmm. singular grammatically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's something odd going on in Western Eurasia. Physical, yeah. There's a metaphysical thing, yeah, a metaphysical the thing going on. Dehumanizing in, women, but this yeah, is this, this, this is a huge not, debate. This is a huge is debate in Germany right now. Is uh, yeah. the acknowledgement of women in the professional sphere by the so if like if I would be a male director, I'd be a regisseur, but I'm a I you know I I have a uterus, so I'm a regisseurin. And uh, is my, it because you were born with a uterus, uh, uh, or you I, acknowledge your uterus? It's a, it's because I think it's because everyone else acknowledges my uterus. Okay. I don't I don't really get to play a role in this um but now so you know in the english speaking world like it it was a lot of work to get rid of words like directress so that women would just be you know that that their gender wouldn't have or their sex wouldn't have anything to do with their reception as a professional but in germany right now there is a massive feminist movement for the use of the in in everything so you now when you write an academic article for example you're expected to say like readers and male readers and readers like Leser und Leserinnen. Mm. You have and you have to do this everywhere, and it's <laughs> it's it's horrible. Ladies and gentlemen, is that <laughs> say what? Ladies and gentlemen type of deal. Yeah, but basically, I'm just like all bakers and female bakers. All right. like anytime you're talking about, and now there's also a star that you put in between the I N and the and the normal term <laughs> to indicate non-binary and trans people, and. This has there's it's a very very big debate. And my sense is that it's been very harmful to women because it constantly just reinforces this is another this is something different than the actual job. Yeah, well, I mean, the same thing has been happening in Spanish too for for a long time, where they've been trying to find some sort of um, like the Latinx thing is an outgrowth of this, but <laughs> but the actual like in actual <laughs> Spanish speaking countries, you've had the use of the of so like instead of niños, you would say niñes. Right, yeah, yeah. Like with, with mm. an e, a neutral, right? A quote unquote it, neutral it, thing, it's, or it's such like a, a distraction of a problem, mm-hmm, you know. Yeah. And it's always it's mm. always these people who are like want to, you know, it, it just there's all sorts of arguments to be made one way or the other. Like, oh well, that subsumes women in the masculine, and that means right. that the masculine is more important. Or you could say actually, it never gives specificity to men. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you it, never know when you have a group of men. You only know that you have a group of men and women, or a group of women. And and two things recently happened in Germany. So it's just sort of, sorry, no, I, I, it's just 
it's just very frustrating the whole thing with 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 the Latinx thing though because it's so clearly something that comes from like an a gender queer studies department in the United States and it's just being shoved down my throat to a degree that it's just like you need to the why I was filling something out it's like are you and then that was my option and I was like I'm not choosing this like, go fuck yourself no like I put other and I said you can call me Hispanic you can say I'm Latino I don't get but I'm not agreeing to some random x at the end of my thing you know that it's impronounceable in my freaking language you know right so So, i don't know in germany two two examples of sort of how this is playing out in the public sphere is one a lawmaker wrote a law using the female plural rather than the male plural and it was rejected actually on the basis of the female plural is not all inclusive whereas the male plural is all inclusive lols um, and then the other one is that one of the senior members of the SPD, the Socialist Party, so what they would call the center left, but like for us, which would be kind of a Bernie party. Social Democrats. Yeah, Social Democratic Party. Um, they, uh, one of their sort of high up guys uh, in public was saying, you know, why why are we not just focusing on like equal pay? Why are we talking about this in problem and this language issue? Frauenfrage. Yeah. Well, and he, um, <laughs> no, but he was completely, you know, he was canceled. Right, he right. was attacked brutally from everyone. And I, you know, I've got to say, I would much prefer to have uh, equal pay than uh, than I want your goddamn money. Than a special term for me right. because I'm a director with a you know well, uterus. Respect is cheap. It, it, it's funny in in Spanish the word for economist it's economista, right? It ends in an a. There are no men asking for it to be changed to economisto. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like I no don't feel recognized. Like, ah, I well, need to be an economisto. You yeah, know? Like, no, strange. no one cares. You know, <laughs> el economista, la economista, no problem. I'm going to say you this know? for my, uh, you know, uh, Hispanic, Latin, Latinx brothers and sisters. <laughs> Latinx? Black people have been going through this since slavery ended. Are we colored? Are we Negroes? Are we black? Are we African American? Mm-hmm. I don't give Bipoc? a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Am I hired? Is my yeah. concern? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so franchised and employed. Yeah. yeah. So well, and you know the the uh, the fact of having gendered uh, like sex based genders in languages, like a lot of European languages have male, female, or masculine, feminine, neuter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is actually sort of odd because most languages that have grammatical gender, like various African languages have like seven grammatical genders. Jesus. None of them are masculine or feminine, yeah, right? Yeah, mostly like, like cosmological. Uh, no, it, yeah, it's like round things, straight right, thing, right. you know. Ontological. Thing related to tongue, right. thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Or there's, there's a famous Australian Aboriginal language that has a grammatical gender that is women fire and dangerous things and that (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a a famous linguistics book called women fire and dangerous things there it is oh my gosh Uh, can i I see that that's one like very very useful uh we have to cancel this language (laughs) yeah we'll cancel this what are you implying wow (laughs) yeah george lakoff classic That's, that's excellent we need that. We need that. We need 10 because we're America. We need more. And, uh, <laughs> the, so the whole economista thing started because juez was just el y la juez, right? Like the, the judge, right? Yeah. So there was this whole thing about, well, no, it should be jueza, you know? And they were like, that's not a word. Right, right. Yeah. You know? And it, so, so it's. <laughs> 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 so 
it, it just gets kind of strange because then they're like, well, you were just being a prescriptivist and you mm-hmm. should only be descriptivist about language. Well, and that's hilarious like, because these types are always so normative. I well, mean, that's rich coming from them, no? It's like how well, homegirls yeah, and homeboys Because they want homies. language to bend to their normativity, right? Not to like, not them bend to any normativity that's not theirs, right? It's just mm. a power struggle. I mean, it reminds me of, um, you know how Nietzsche talks about like, in different cultures, uh, different things of value. So if you're in an archer culture, the archer is like being a good archer is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. With the PMC is like being a good PC uh, person. That's mm-hmm. fucking. Ah. That's like being a good archer. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? Yeah. Being be, having complete control of having control of that of that language of the language of like the the sort of pc culture or the woke culture like being able to speak that fluently mm-hmm. has become a way to to have power within that culture yes um it seems to me what i'm taking away from the conversation so far is that um with respect to the discussion of masculinity we have an antiquated form of existence basically which capitalism once required and you know it's like um it's like a museum thing we shouldn't get too teary-eyed. We shouldn't get too romantic and you know nostalgic and anything, because it was never good. But um, nevertheless, it seems to be that that's the case. This kind of masculinity that's getting poo-pooed now was once something mass-produced, and it's no longer necessary. Moreover, it's inconvenient, and so the managers have to instill different values in us by changing our language and changing our ideology. Of course, that's an idealistic picture. If they were good Marxists, they'd know we'd change our material conditions and then things would change by themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. But this is what I'm taking from this, is that there's an antiquated mode of existence and it's called masculinity. And it's 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 out. Mm -hmm. Um and and then every all the problems we're dealing with now, they're just sort of snags and hang-ups and 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 friction caused in the transition process Mm. from one previous mode of existence what you know what capitalism previously required to a new one that's what do you think what what what, what do let's, i think we'll just let's just do a final round because i think we're at the well we're at the two hour mark my final thoughts and like the utility of the conversation is that the macho still exists you know and the important thing is if you want to change the way people function you change the material conditions of the people but in the liminal stage that we're in, where we haven't acknowledged that the material conditions need to change and people are just trying to manage, you know, uh, the schema of the macho and try to fit, you know, that square peg into the round hole of the society we live in. I think it's incumbent on us who are kind of, um, you know, of sound mind, uh, who are generally comfortable who figured it out to an extent to kind of give some wisdom onto the younger generations who may be confused on how the macho exists or doesn't exist in the new society. And we can take features that are masculine that are still, that still have utility and apply them to our daily lives. Like the idea of being calm, like the idea of being um, versatile you know, um, those things we can place into the schema while at the same time creating a new schema for us to fit to placing, taking things from the old schema into the new schema so that we can create a new form of society that may be just like we want a classless society that destroys 
those schema so that we can have a society where the macho, since it's not being mass produced, doesn't have to exist anymore. But instead of destroying the old and trying to change the individual, we change society to include what was good from the past. So I think it is still good for, um, you know, people in general to learn what are good, you know, qualities that were from the macho or from the masculine and apply them in today's society. And I think the other thing I take from this is that we do need to investigate what are the feminine qualities that we need to leave behind in the new schema. And maybe the, 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 the job for the future is to create a universal schema. Maybe that's the same job as destroying um, class, mm. you know? Um, maybe that's the good way of getting rid of gender, you know? Mm. Um, instead of making it incumbent on the individual to accept the new world and to change themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Marco, what you got? Um, <clears throat> I, I think, like... My issue with all this gender stuff is, is actually when, when you start telling people what to do and what not to do in terms of their lives. Like you can't wear this, you can't do that. It's like it's it's why why this weird prison, right? Like why can't you know a guy wear makeup if he wants to wear makeup? I don't know. I mean, I don't want to, but if you want to, who cares? You know. So it's it's this gender norms are really what the issue is to me. Now, I actually think that maybe this is very Jungian of me, but I think that everyone kind of participates in both the masculine and the feminine in some level. Like it's just a part of who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think to some extent, going back to the language thing, this masculine feminine thing, maybe not necessarily maps over, you know, genitals or anything like that. It's rather just some kind of energy or things that are some ontology or metaphysics of like existence, right? And we've just kind of assigned sex and gender to them because it was an easy way to understand it. But we're all participating in that. Mm-hmm. And I think insofar as we start restricting what people can and cannot do, we start pathologizing our relationship to it, mm-hmm. right? Because if you want to do, if you're a man and you want to do things that are female, then you have two options. You're either not a man, right? Or you're, or you're some kind of like counterfeit man or you say that you're just like a woman in a man, right? And it, but but you're not functioning, you know, in this weird, it's forcing you to kind of pathologize your situation and not be happy with who you are and what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and material conditions have to do with that because we build people based on what we need to produce more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so people. we restrict people's ability to be. Mm-hmm. And that's my problem with it. I don't know. Gotcha. All right. What you got, Jamal? Why don't we have Amy go? I'm afraid she gets the last word. All right, boss. Amy word <laughs> no. Sure. I mean, I think the whole the whole discourse of toxic masculinity and the whole discourse of masculinity, femininity, sex, race, all this stuff, it's all nonsense. It's all distraction from what's actually happening in our society. Um, and we should at every step be oriented towards rejecting it and saying what's actually happening is that we have a rapacious upper class that is making life difficult for everyone, irrespective of their sex or race or what have you. Mm -hmm. And that's the only, the only way that we're going to actually 
raise class consciousness in this country is by just being laser focused on that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, frankly, the majority of the working class will understand that that's the case instinctively because it's obviously the case. If you work in an Amazon warehouse or what have you, right? Like it's obviously the case that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, it's really only the middle class that likes to mm -hmm. indulge in this kind of frivolous, you know, nonsense about how, you know, different different identity groups are treated in the workplace or what have you. So, yeah, I guess that's what I would say. All right, Amy, log us off. Yeah, I was going to talk about how in 2016 a study was done about the German theater landscape, which is all sort of publicly funded, so it's easy to conduct a large-scale study, just about women's uh, incomes. And uh, that revealed that female directors are paid on average 35% less than their male colleagues. What's been interesting since then is since then I've been earning a lot more money as a director. And I think because artistic directors and budget offices were unaware of the fact that they were underpaying women. Um, so, you know, I completely agree with the point that focusing on the economic uh, disparities are, are much more interesting than like adding the IN to uh, every single word. But the other, the last question that I, I have, which maybe could be part of a later discussion, is the cultures that are really, really latching on to what we are calling toxic masculinity, like Russia, for example, mm. a, a culture that's really, really committed to um, these aggressive, authoritarian, bullying kind of uh, like gender roles. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, or, or Kamala Harris. Um, but, uh, you know, like a figure like Putin, but also just the sort of gender dynamics in that country and why why that's something that is so fundamental to how things work there. Mm. I think, yeah, yeah, that's what I think. <laughs>